All right, everybody, welcome to the True Blue Cubs podcast. I'm your host, a True Blue Cubs fan, stamp comedian, Chicago native Joe Kilgallen. Welcome, everyone. Very excited for today's podcast. The first time we are going live, the first time the True Blue podcast is going live. Hopefully, the feed is nice and crisp and clear. This is episode four of the 2021 season. If you're new to this podcast, basically what I like to do is I interview fellow Cubs fans about why they love the Cubs, how they fell in love with the Cubs, and we just nerd out on all things Cubs. It's a real fun thing. Uh, So feel free to check out past episodes. I've got one with comedian Mike Bridenstine. I've got one with the director of morale, uh, Dom Frederick. That was a very fun one. And then I did a solo podcast in which I kind of just broke down the last few seasons and how they kind of brought us to where we are currently in the 2021 season. Today's episode, I'm very, very excited for uh, one of the best follows on Cubs Twitter, uh, diehard Cubs fan. I mean, his name would be, or his picture would be in the dictionary, dictionary, encyclopedia for diehard Cubs fans, uh, a great dude. And, and, and he's also part of a great Cubs podcast that I definitely encourage everyone to check out called the San Ranto podcast or the Sun Ranto podcast, I should say. I've talked about this with him. I always want to say San Ranto because San rhymes with Ron, like our guy Ron Santo. Anyhow, without further ado, enough of me rambling. Let's bring him on, the one and only Crawley. What's up, dude? How you doing, Joe? I'm great. And I gotta I gotta tell the listeners, the watchers, because we are live now, that um we tried to record this over the weekend. I was down in St. Louis. I was in enemy territory. Uh, headlining a great comedy club, though, the St. Louis Funny Bone. And a uh, shout out to everyone who came out to that gig. They were uh, great crowds. And we tried to do it in the hotel. And the internet connection of the hotel was just atrocious. I was on their Wi-Fi. You know, right now I'm like plugged in with the Ethernet. So I, it's hopefully it's going to remain strong um, and all that good stuff. But we had, we had a great conversation. And we're going to continue that great conversation. And hopefully maybe some listeners will comment in with their thoughts, too. That'd be fun. Anytime. Yeah. You know, anyone has questions. Yeah. It's always open. I'm, 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 you know, like I said, been a Cub fan all my whole life and it's been a blast and I love talking with other Cub fans. And just to be clear, just to give everyone a heads up, I'm going to get into your past with the Cubs and then we'll probably end by talking about the current 2021 Cubs. So if you're looking for instant, like, Oh, are they going to talk about what's happening immediately right now? We'll get there. We will get there. But first, I want to ask Crawley how you became a Cubs fan and what your earliest memory of Wrigley Field would be. So, uh, you know, I always tell people that if you're a Cubs fan, it's a genetic disorder. You, it was passed down by somebody, a mother, a father, a grandfather. And so that was my situation. Uh, my, my family grew up by Irving Park in Polina, uh, which was about a mile, mile and a half from the ballpark. And um my great uncle actually used to play minor league ball for the Cubs when they had a team up in Kenosha. Um, and so it was like a D league type thing. And then he went to world war two and that was that, but my dad would always kind of like, you know, go to games. And so whenever we had family gatherings, you know, it would always be, the guys would always be talking about the Cubs. And that's just kind of like what I grew up absorbing, you know, as a kid, just listening. Like I just thought, I thought every family just does nothing but talk about the Cubs when they get together. So, uh, but when I was a little kid, I had to have been like, I just remember five or six years old or something. And, and for some odd reason, my dad thought it would be a good idea if we were in the bleachers, we were in the bleachers, Cubs Cardinals, you know, which is crazy enough as it is much less with a five, six year old child, but, uh, the Cubs are getting their asses kicked. You know, the Cardinals teams in the eighties were really good. And, uh, you know, we were losing like, 
Yeah, we were losing like 12 to 2 or some shit like that. And, uh, you know, there was like these four Cardinal fans and they were started chanting, Wrigley Field sucks, Wrigley Field sucks. And then the next thing I know, like this cascade of beers like just came pouring down on like people were just chucking full beers at these Cardinals fans. And these guys turned around like they were going to do something. And literally like the entire section of the bleachers got up, including like my 40 pound scrawny ass. Like, yeah, let's go. You know, it's just kind of like a brotherhood out there. And that's where I kind of really got, that was my earliest memories of Wrigley field. I like that. You called it a brotherhood. I was breaking down the lyrics of Eddie Vedder's classic cub song all the way. And there's a great line where it says brothers in arms in the streets and in the stands. So Good reference right there already, Crowley. Yeah, I, I was actually at that uh, f- first Wrigley Field show that Pearl Jam. I mean, like you want to talk about like a perfect marriage, you know, love Pearl Jam, love the Cubs. So I was there. My brother actually flew in from Colorado that very first concert they played in uh, 20, was it 2014? So they played in 2014 and uh, and I just, rec- God, was it 2014 or is it? No, I think it was later, maybe 2016. But they played that concert and there was just a deluge. There was like a monsoon. And you know how it is in Wrigley. It's just a real pain in the ass to ever get anything extended past curfew. Curfew's like 11 o'clock, like lights on, every music off, pull the plug, this and that. So I'm getting nervous. I'm thinking there's no way they're going to play this show. Like uh, I think Fish was on Northerly Island. There was a bunch of other shows that same night that got canceled. And I'm looking at my Twitter. I'm like, shit, I'm looking at the exit. My bro- Like I said, my brother and his wife flew in from Colorado just for this show and, and and somehow they pulled it off and I'll never forget after this torrential storm, Eddie Vedder comes out with just the guitar and then he plays someday. Well, he plays all the way, which is great. And then Ernie Banks comes out and, and Ernie at this time, you know, like it had to have been 2014. It was 2014. Yeah. He was Ernie comes out. Yeah. And he was still alive. And, uh, that was really kind of one of the last real moments that I really like just remember him, you know, really kind of just, I think that's my last memory, Ernie, to be honest with you. And then uh, just the ovation that he got. And then Eddie kind of did a, like a reprise with Ernie singing along. Just such a great moment for anyone that was there. It was just electric. You know, rock stars love the Cubs. I was at a Cubs game where Billy Corgan was sitting like a row away from me. I was yeah. also at the famed Cubs game in which Jack White, you know, it's a, like a, it became a meme. You know, Jack White, everyone, you know, if you're listening, if you don't know who Jack White is, he's amazing. <laughs> he's White Stripes, uh, Dead Weather, a few other great bands, uh, the Raconteurs. And it's that picture where he just kind of looks like real, like he's pissed off. And <laughs> what kills me about it was so many people like nationwide made jokes where it's like baseball. I don't like baseball because he looks like a rock star who wouldn't like sports. But he was into the whole game because I was over. I was where I could see him and he was cheering when everyone else was cheering. He was like into it. And that summer, he was doing, like, every city he popped into, he would go to their ballpark. There's pictures of him at Coors, pictures of him at, like, Great American Ballpark, Comerica. You know, he's from Michigan. Um, and I actually, when I was getting a hot dog and a beer, we went. he walked by us, me and my brother. And I was like, hey, what's up, Jack? Big fans. He's like, hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And he just kept walking, you know. But uh, really cool guy. And Eddie Vedder, Billy Corgan, uh, Jack White. That's three of the biggest of the last 30 years, all Cubs fans. There's another one that you left out, uh, Tom Morello from Rage oh, Against the Machine. Uh, he, he's, he's a great guy, such a nice guy. And so uh, it was uh, opening days, I think like a few years back, and uh, 
you know, opening day, Joe, you know this. Like, I, I'm always paying attention to games and stuff like that. But opening day is a, an exception sometimes. That's a that's Mardi Gras. That's a raging party. Like, opening day is welcome home, welcome back. Start drinking the moment the bars get open, and, and it's it's like that. And so after the game, my 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 the co-host of the pod uh, podcast, Danny Danny Rocket, his band was playing at G Man Tavern, and I'm 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 I've had quite a few at this point. And I look and I, I, and the, I go, there's a back st- where the stage is and there's a bathroom. So I went to the bathroom and I'm like, all right, I'll go grab another beer. As I'm walking past a table, there's Jeff Garland, uh, Vince Vaughn, and Tom Morello sitting in this little corner booth. So I, I definitely had some liquid courage going and I just sat down with them like, hey guys, what's going on? And the, you know, <laughs> Vince Vaughn is just giving me death stares. Jeff Garland's like, oh hey, you know, you know, I'm talking yeah. to Tom about music because I really was like most excited to meet Tom. And I'm like trying to convince him to go on stage with Danny's band, but I couldn't get him to do it. But he was a really nice guy. Vince Vaughn, not so much. <laughs> well, I can't say anything bad about Vince Vaughn. Fun fact about me, he was like my boss, my first job in Hollywood. So <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, trust I mean, me, I wouldn't want it a day though. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, want yeah. it a drunk me crashing a table either. Well, uh, yeah, I get it, right? Uh, but yeah, Tom Morello is a really cool Cubs fan. Man, there's a lot. We And another day, me and you should come up with like a list. It'd be cool. I was doing a thing where I was uh, on my other podcast, the Joe Kilgallen podcast, everyone should check out. I was playing games of F, Mary kill with people. And um, based on where they were from, I would look up famous people from their town. I would like to do like a, a database of famous celebrity Cubs fans. Cause we've got some really good ones. Obviously we've oh, got yeah. Bill Murray, of course. Um, as far as like new young ones, I know Elizabeth Moss, who's a big famous actress right now from hands made tale and a bunch of other things. She's a Cubs fan. I don't know if you've watched the show, new girl, Jake Johnson, big Cubs fan. He grew up uh, in Evanston. I want to say, so yeah, it's a pretty impressive list overall. I, I bet better than most fan bases. I mean, the Dodgers and Yankees probably have some good ones, but those are fair weather fans as we know. Right. And, and, and not only that, we, there's a awesome, like, you, I mean, Joe, you were in California for a long time. Uh, there's a, there's a huge contingency of Cub fans that, that are out there. Helen Hunt is one of oh. them and Bob Newhart. Bonnie and, Hunt. And that, yeah, Bob Newhart. Bonnie Hunt, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and just that whole crew out there in California and they they come to a lot of Cubs games and every time they're in Dodger stadium, you usually see them in a, in a, in one of the uh, suites. It's really nice to see. Yeah. Conan, Conan, basically the Cubs are his national league team. You know, he's a Red Sox fan, but he always says that for nationally, he likes the Cubs because he, you know, had an apartment with Garland, a few buildings up Kenmore, I want to say, like Kenmore and Waveland. So, all right, you're five, six years old, go to a Cubs game for the first time. Dad grew up near the ballpark. You are hooked. It's the 80s. Who are you when you're playing ball with your friends? Whose swing are you copying from the Cubs? I was a big Ryan Sandberg guy. Uh, you know, he had, you know, that was my first team that I really got latched on to. There's a picture I always put on Twitter that, you know, it's just me and my dad in the bleachers at the time. And, you know, I have like these giant pins, you know, and you remember, the, and I had a bunch of them. I actually just found a Mark Grace one, but like I had like the Sarge and Jody Davis, but, but Sandberg was broke the breakout star of that team. And I just always remember kind of twirling the bat the way that he always did. And, and uh, I had a friend who lived in um, Glenview and, and in the eighties, Sandberg and Rick Sutcliffe, who I love Rick Sutcliffe, the Red Baron, they both lived there. But like whenever I'd come over, like the mom would always be like, no, nah, don't, I don't want you going over. I no matter what Paul's uh, and what Carly says, don't go over by, uh, don't go by Sutcliffe, Sandberg. She, they didn't want him to be bothered. So I'd always tell my buddy, let's just walk by. We won't knock on doors. We won't do anything, but we'll just walk by and maybe they'll come out at the same time. So I would just like 
stalk them when I was like eight or nine years old. <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, I'd probably try to do something sly like that, especially, you know, Sutcliffe. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Because he's just like this. He was such a, I remember, now I'm just a little younger than you, Crawley. Um, but the, so what the 84 Cubs were for you, the 89 Cubs were the first Cubs team I kind of remember. I was, you know, about five years old. 89 was the first Cubs game I went to. Uh, we both went to games when we were five, six years old, you and I, which I think is a good age. I've got a son who's four, and I think next year I'll take him to his first Cubs game. Although you told me, you've told me in another conversation that you took your one kid when they were two. <laughs> I feel it's cool to be able to remember your first Cubs game. I've got some friends who've taken their one-year-olds to games, and they're like, no, we were safe. I'm like, it's obviously the safety is huge. But more importantly, I feel like the kids should remember their first time. You know, that's just my thing, though. Everyone listening, you do you. I'm not going to tell people what to do with their families. Um, but my way is the best. Anyway, <laughs> um, but Sutcliffe, man, he had that big red beard. He was 6'7", just kind of had this imposing thing. And then Andre Dawson was my favorite player. And I remember when Dawson got hit in the mouth. I remember hearing the story. I think I was too young to remember my dad told me. He was like, Sutcliffe was like the first guy out there to have his back. And that just like stuck with me as a kid where it's like, those are the guys you want to play with, that kind of loyalty. You want, you want to hear a great story about that? This is I'm stealing Sutcliffe's story, but you know what? He's not here, so I'll tell it. Uh, you know who the starting pitcher for the Cubs were the day versus Eric Shaw? No, who was it? A young Greg Maddox. And oh, so man, starting that day. Greg Maddox was starting and and uh he he didn't, you know, he didn't, you know, everyone thinks the Hall of Famer and 300 wins, all that shit. He wasn't anything just yet. You know what I mean? He was just a rookie. And uh he, you know, he was struggling, and and the and the manager says, you know, he says, look. You you better start showing us something, or you're going to be back on the bus to Iowa. You know you you need to do something here, and so that was '87 when Dawson had the MVP, and Eric Shaw goes up and in on him, and just I thought I thought he killed him. I'm not even gonna lie; he just went like down like a pile of rocks, and like you said, it was Sutcliffe leading the charge right out there. Goes out there, and, and Sutcliffe's going to kill Shaw, and and he's he's going after him and this and that, and then they kind of break it up, and Sutcliffe goes. To, right next to Dawson, who's still laying down on the ground. I don't know what he said or what happened, but the next thing you know, Dawson gets up like a cannon, shoots up, and goes straight towards Sean. The whole thing just erupts again to the point that the umpire is literally escorting Shaw to the dugout to get him out of there before some riot happens, okay? And, uh, and so, obviously, Dawson's out of the game. Sutcliffe is ejected. And as Sutcliffe's leaving, he, he talks to Maddox, pulls Maddox aside. He says, look, it's like the fourth inning. After the fifth inning, let's get the win. Let's get the victory. Then you throw it whoever you want to, and we'll get our revenge. And Maddox looks at him and says, I'm going to throw it the next motherfucker who comes up to the plate. And <laughs> Sutcliffe says, no, 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 dude. He's like, just be smart about it. You know, just let's get, let's get you, let's get you past five. Let's get you the win. Then you start throwing. And Maddox said, no, next motherfucking, I'm going to hit. And next guy he throws up, Maddox throws at him. He gets ejected. Maddox gets sent to the minors. But Sutcliffe always said when Maddox came back up, the, the, the whole room had a completely different, they had a respect for him that you, there's no way you could earn that, you know, what I mean? unless doing something like that. You know what I mean? Well, Maddox definitely earned a lot of the respect for the way he was on the mound. But that story, I, I've never heard that story before which is surprising because anything involving Dawson, you know, I know all about, uh, I, I think one of my first viral tweets in the Cubs world 
was there was a picture of Andre Dawson standing next to a coffin, you know, because he works like with, he owns a couple funeral homes or something now. Right. And I like shared the photo saying Eric Shaw was in this coffin and people just went nuts <laughs> for it. Cause it was right around the anniversary of like, you know, the video had been going all around Twitter of, cause Dawson was like bleeding from the mouth. And I think Sutcliffe even said in one interview, I saw like blood on the, on the dirt underneath his face. And I just, I saw red myself and lost it. Another great Maddox story though, that involves Andre Dawson. Now this went viral. I think he told it, I think, Dawson had told it on some podcast or maybe on ESPN and MLB intentional talk. It, it went, it made the round. So it was on a few different places where Maddox, I think Dawson was in a hot tub with like Sean Dunstan and or one or two other guys. It, it, it was, uh, it was Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith. Yeah. Those four. <laughs> and great. Yeah. You know, the story, Greg, Matt, for the listeners who don't, I'll, I'll finish the story. Of course. Every now and then I listen to a podcast and one person knows the story and they're like, okay. And they keep going. I'm like, I don't know the story. Get into it. So <laughs> Maddox walks up to them and says, and I, I like them telling the story because it feels like the racial healing that this world might need right now. Um, he says, you ever see a white guy make four black guys like run for their lives or something? And Dunson's like, like, what the hell is he saying? And Dawson's like, I know Greg enough where he's clearly, there's some joke coming. Right. And then apparently Maddox starts pissing into the hot tub and all four of them go running for their lives. <laughs> It's like, what? I mean, I'm all for pranks, but that's just disgusting, Greg. Come on, man. That's sick. Well, you know, Greg, unfortunately, hasn't, you know, come, to, you know, he hasn't, he doesn't do like a lot of events. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I can't, it was like the first year his brother was back with the Cubs, uh, Mike, and, uh, and he came to CubsCon, Greg did. And Andre Dawson told that story. So Andre never, kind of tells like, you know, like Andre is kind of like a quiet, you know, like very cer like cerebral quiet dude. And Greg said something. And that's how I heard the story is, is Dawson says, you want to know why they call him mad dog? And he tells the story and to hear Dawson. Oh my God. It was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of going to a thing like Cubs con is you really get to hear a lot of inside stories that wouldn't have been known to the public. Now everything is filmed and stuff, but say you were at Cubs con 1999. I mean, you weren't, you weren't able to see that the next day on you know social media, YouTube didn't exist yet. So I guess that's a, a really cool thing about going to Cubs cons as long as, as far as back as you've gone. Yeah, I got um, some, every year I usually put this up sometimes around Cubs con. I got a video and I, and part of me is like, you know, kind of likes the fact that it was kind of like unique and it was just us. But I decided one time I took a video of a session that had uh, uh, it was it was Ron Santo. It was Rick Sutcliffe, Lee Smith and Ernie Banks, the four of those guys. And uh, I just I, I, I taped it and, and I, I love looking, watching it even still today. It was from it was from CubsCon 2009. You know what I mean? So you're talking about 11, you know, 11, 12 years ago. And it was just hilarious. And, and it's hard because, you know. When you, when you, when I first started going to CubsCon, the big team was the sixties team, like all those guys telling stories, you know, and a lot of those guys are no longer with us. You know, I mean, Billy, thankfully, and Fergie and, and a couple others, you know, Rich Nye and a couple other guys, but so many of that team is now gone. It's, it's hard to remember. Like, like I said, those guys were the rock stars more than even the eighties teams that I used to, you know, that I fell in love with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anyone. Anyone who knows someone who's over the age of what would the age be now? I feel like it changes all the time over 50. Cause you know, it's crazy. 1969 is like 1999 right now is what 1969 was to us in the late nineties, yeah. because I know you were an eighties kid. I was more of a nineties kid. I remember being a nineties kid thinking about the sixties, like, Oh, that was so long ago. And now I'm thinking, <laughs> Holy shit. 
that's how long it's the same difference now in the year 2021. So I mean, imagine how crazy, I don't want to look that far ahead and we'll, we'll talk more of this current era in a little bit, but think about how crazy the Cubs con is going to be say in 2026 or, or <laughs> 2036 when they're doing like the 20 year anniversary of the 2016 team. Well, hopefully at that point, they'll let me in, just let me walk in in the senior line or something, just because I'm getting too old to keep running for the first row. Yeah. You would have paid your dues <laughs> by then though. You know how like frequent flyer miles, they should have that for Cubs con where it's like a special, you skip TSA. Right. That would, that would be nice. But, uh, you know, it's, it, I missed that this year. I got to tell you, it was, it's, it, it literally to me is, is one of the most fun, entertaining weekends for me. That's like my birthday and Christmas and everything all rolled into one. It's just one weekend of like a, like a Cubs orgy of just beer and baseball. And just, it's always the shittiest, coldest, snowiest weekend of the year. And it's, and it's like, but you know, baseball's coming. It's like Cubs con pitcher catcher, spring training, opening day, boom, 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 just hits a row. And, and so it, 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 I missed it. Cause like just the stories and then the friendships you make over the years and the weird traditions. And it's not for everybody. Not everybody loves it, but like anybody that's in the know, I mean, like if, if you go to Cubs kind, you're just like bingo. Like everyone knows Wayne Mesmer bingo, just like one of the greatest, you know, couple hours that you'll spend just kind of laughing and drinking and trying to win some cool prizes, something like that. You know, it, it's, I, I missed it a lot and, and it's, it's changed over the years and it's gotten a lot more like professional and slick. Like, I remember the old Hilton days when, you know, you everyone would just pile into Kitty O'Shea's afterwards and just get messed up together. And there weren't any, like you said, cell phone cameras or video recorders or nothing. Everyone just kind of did what they wanted. Yeah. Kind of missed that a little bit. I don't know. Uh, you know, I was watching the Bulls last dance documentary and I thought to myself, he was, this is a stupid comparison because Michael Jordan was just on a whole different stratosphere. But I remember thinking, man, I guess nineties athletes, it was nice because they didn't have everyone taking pictures of them all over the place. But then Jordan would walk off an elevator and get mobbed like crazy because there were so few media outlets that they'd be really the, the few media that there was, was right up on you the whole time where I feel like almost nowadays there's so much access that it's like maybe not as big a deal. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, you see, you hear about what they're doing. You see them everywhere. Where in the nineties, you'd really had to hound someone to find out where they were, but people valued their privacy. Um, well, let me ask you this eighties growing up, your kid Sandberg's your favorite. Let's go decade by decade. Who was your favorite cub of the 1990s? Uh, you know, Mark Grace was just, uh, you know, you talk about 89, he had one hell of a year in 89 and, uh, he, him and Will Clark lit it up in the, uh, in the championship series. But, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, Mark Grace was fun to watch, you know, he just always, he was the hit King for the 1990s watching him. That was just a blast. Um, so. I, I went to college in 96, 97. So like, you know, I kind of like I, that Sammy period, that Sammy Sosa period, that kind of like, I, I was a big Sammy fan, but I watched so much of Mark Grace and just enjoyed him a lot. And he was, the Cubs have such a, a storied history of great first baseman, whether you talk about Grace, whether you talk about Derek Lee, Anthony Rizzo, Leon Durham, you know, you just keep going backwards. They've just had a whole ton of them. So it, it's, uh, you know, I loved watching Grace both, you know, like Rizzo, good defense. And, and, and he was just, like I said, the nineties hit King, you know what I mean? So he was a lot of fun. Yeah. Grace was a guy who I was a fan of, but I was never, I was always more of a Sosa guy. Um, you know, I think my dad was so old school that he always would be annoyed that Grace didn't have more power. 
And I think I think my dad lost a bet with someone where my dad thought, no, Palmero, he's going to be the future. And then they traded Palmero. <laughs> and, you know, any Cubs fans, we're not here to put rumors out there, but you could do your own Googling about why they may have kept Grace over Palmero or whatever. Some stuff that uh, you can also Google know about. You can also Google corn cob dress. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, Crowley's got all the info, all the intel. But I was a Grace fan, and I learned to appreciate Mark Grace more so. There was a really cool baseball prospectus book where it talked about whether or not clutch is a thing. But then they used Mark Grace as an example where they're like, this guy was actually pretty damn clutch, but he never had like a 100 RBI season. And they basically talked about a lot of that was just opportunity because the Cubs never batted him where they should have, perhaps. And then and there's a the lot of teams in the nineties, <laughs> a lot of really bad teams, you know, and I feel like maybe that's why, um, there's some anger with Cubs fans nowadays. Cause they're maybe worried about going back to that. Um, and then there's some Cubs fans who are like, Hey, there were, there were years, Carl, you know, it too. There were years in which if you would have told me we we're five and seven after 12, I'd have been like, okay, that's not bad. I'll take five and seven after 12. That's Hey, there's plenty of time left. We could turn a corner. But obviously, the circumstances around this team are a little bit different. All right, so '90s, you got Mark Grace, Carrie Wood. Carrie Wood was a good Kerry one Wood. up there, obviously, and then uh, and then Rod Beck in the '90s too. I love the shooter. I, I love the shooter. He just kind of seemed like such a badass back then, you know, with the long hair and the Fu Manchu. Uh, the, I, I loved Rod Beck. I thought he was great. Now we got him what in '99 because we beat him in '98 with the Giants in that one game wild card. He was when we had uh we had oh, no ninety eight. No, we have him. We, we had him in ninety eight because he was the closer right. in ninety eight. You're right. We had him in ninety eight. He was with the Giants before that. Right. His Giants where he really kind of made you know really did really well, and then uh, and then we got him, and all of a sudden he kind of had a resurgence, and that was I mean that was just such a fun team. They weren't the best team. They weren't a really good team, but somehow they just everything just clicked and it worked out, and they got some things that went their way, and that. That that was the year that both Jack and Harry passed away in '98, and and the wild card game. If people remember it, it was really bizarre. And there was like a giant balloon Harry that was like floating. I think is it right field. I can't remember which <laughs> which field, but the whole the whole thing was surreal. That was the Brent Brown. Oh no, the the drop fly ball on game 162, and and so you know it, it was a weird year, but somehow it all worked out. But we got our asses kicked by the Braves. I'll never forget that Brent Brown drop. I had <laughs> I'd watched it live, so I didn't hear Ron Santo. But then if you listen to Chicago Sports Radio the next day, that was they were playing that on a loop. Everyone, the Cubs were, I think they had a one-game lead where they could have clinched. They were playing in Milwaukee at Old County Stadium, which was such an ugly stadium compared to, you know, I, I talk a lot of trash about the Brewers, and we all do as Cubs fans, but Miller Park's actually a pretty nice ballpark. Um, yeah. The uh, County Stadium was not. And Brant Brown lost one. I remember it hit like the heel of his glove and fell out. And you were, it was just baffling, baffling because that was, you know, it was 98. It was the 90 years since the Cubs had won a World Series and Sosa was doing the 66 home runs. And then you had this phenom and Kerry Wood who struck out his own age to set a record, you know, 20 K's at 20 years old. And then, you know, like you said, Harry and Jack had died in the off season. So it just felt like there was, you know, this magic in the air that maybe this was the year. And I'll still never forget that trade deadline. The following off season, I wrote a letter to Ed Lynch. Cause we had to write a letter to someone in business. I was in eighth grade 
And I remember I was, I, I wrote, I'm like, I'm going to write a letter to Ed Lynch, the Cubs GM and all this stuff. And that was like a school project. I think I was the only one that chose the Cubs to write a letter to, but I, I said something like, don't, I, I think I kind of gave him shit about only making one trade and it was to get Matt Karcher in which we gave up John Garland, you know, <laughs> the, the Astros went out and got Randy Johnson and then just completely ran away with the division. So all we had hope for was with a wild card, but at the trade deadline, we were close to the Astros, as you remember. I told him, don't re-sign Gary Gaetti. I know he had a big home run for us in the wild card, but we need to go younger. Robin Ventura is a free agent. He's uh, a great defender still and a bat from the left side, and we need more balance in the lineup. And I can't remember who else I told him to get, but he responded. It was a signature that looked like a real signature, but it was a form letter. You can tell he probably sent these back to every little kid who sent him something. And he didn't do a single thing I asked. He re-signed Gaetti. <laughs> He didn't bring in a star, a fifth star. I remember just the whole thing being like, if he would have done half of what I suggested, we would have been back in the playoffs in 99. But instead, we were pretty bad in 99, if I recall. Well, Gary Wood missed the whole year, and that was it for us. Resigned the rat. That's what they called him, Gary Gaetti, the rat. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he just had, he was another guy that just, you know, an old guy who just had a breakout season in 98 and then not a breakout, but just a resurgence. And then they signed yeah. him, and it was like, what are you doing? That was just like, a, that was a fluke. That guy wasn't going to keep that up. Well, we picked him up like in the August waiver wire period. So I was just like, why? I, I know he hit a nice home run for us, but even me at the age of 13 or 14 was smart enough to think that's not going to carry on for another season. And no. um, yeah, they, I remember he picked up Jeff Blauser in 99. I don't think we hit him for 98. He picked him up for like 99 and he was not the same guy as he was uh, with the Braves. And that's when my dad told me at the time, things have since changed though, luckily, but I remember at the time my father saying, and I'm sure your dad had all sorts of Cubs wisdom like this, where my dad said, if teams like the Braves aren't offering you a contract, they probably know something the rest <laughs> of the league doesn't. Because I was excited. At first, I was excited about Blauser because he was like an all-star the year before. I'm like, he was an all-star with Atlanta. My dad's like, why didn't Atlanta keep him then? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> he goes, I guarantee you it's not because the Cubs offered him more money because he was still heartbroken over Maddox leaving over like a measly $2 million or even less than that maybe. Yeah, the Maddox move, you know, it's funny. People always say the worst Cubs, you know, move was the Ernie Brock for Broglio. Or I'm sorry, Lou Brock for Ernie Broglio. But uh, uh, to me, like letting Maddox walk. I mean, like Broglio or Lou Brock, he kind of struggled a little bit when he came up. And, and you know, he kind of had some adjustments. He's a rookie. You know, you didn't know what you had. You know what I mean? You knew what you had with Maddox and you still – let him walk for being cheap. To me, that's like an unforgivable sin. You know what I mean? Sometimes rookies just blossom a little bit later than you expect. Whatever. But Maddox was already a Cy Young award winner and they let him walk right after winning the Cy Young. That's ridiculous. I 100% I agree with you. That's You can't even make the comparison to me because we. this was a guy that was an ace. You had an ace and he was saying, I want to stay here, but I'm not going to get disrespected either. You know, players play for that one big contract. Uh, look, every team, every team in Major League Baseball has some young player they gave up on too soon. You know, mm -hmm. everyone's patting the White Sox on the back right now. And the White Sox, hey, you know, Carl and I are going to talk about this in a second, but we're not White Sox fans. But we we could acknowledge that clearly they've had a nice uh, buildup of some young talent going on right there. But they also gave up on Fernando Tatis Jr. They traded him for Scott Shields. I mean, talk about an epically bad trade. But again, they didn't know what they had yet in Fernando Tatis Jr. So that's not as bad as, say, knowing what you have. You having a Cy Young 
and then trading him as he's entering his prime, mind you. He'd end up, he'd win what three? Did he win four Cy Youngs in a row? Three with Atlanta, one with us. It was yeah, it was an incredible run that he had. So yeah, that was definitely definitely frustrating. But like it really it really was. But you know, I was there uh, when he came. What was what was God? I can't remember. Three thousand strikeout over at Wrigley Field, and then that yeah. was pretty amazing too. So when he came back in the two thousands, that was fun. Yeah, a uh, little Kilgallen family fun fact. My cousin Miles was at that game, and they, Marquee, you know, when Marquee first launched, they're, I think they're still running a lot of these, but they were doing like top 10 Wrigley Field moments or top 25 Wrigley Field moments or um, maybe top Cubs pitcher. It was Cubs pitcher moments or something, and that was on that list. And then a couple after that was Jake Arrieta's no-hitter in L.A., and I was in the highlight because I was at that game. They showed me right after he struck out Rollins. Or was it Utley? Rollins, I think Utley was the final out, but he was one more out to go. ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, they cut to me and a comedian friend of mine, Steve Byrne. And so I'm forever in that highlight, which is always awesome. Usually when they show that, I'm in it. And my cousin Miles, right after Maddox gets it, they cut to him in the crowd. So both of us were on that marquee, like top countdown thing. So just a little bragging over here. No big deal. (laughs) I'm going to allow Crawley to do some bragging right now with this next question. Crawley, let's say your house is on fire. Your family's all out. You guys are good. Family pets. You need to, but you think to yourself, I've got time. I've got time to run in there and get a piece of Cubs memorabilia that I just can't replace. I'm going for it. What are you saving? There's definitely two pieces of my memorabilia collection that I always kind of, that are near to my heart. Uh, One of them is a Washburn uh, Cubs guitar. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I think there's only a hundred of them made. And the, I can't believe they gave it away. It was like a scratch off type thing. And, and oh, it's this yeah. beautiful guitar that, that, that has like the IV and the brick and the 400. Like it's not a cheapie. I'm telling you, I, I can't believe this was a giveaway. And uh, there's one on a memorabilia group that I'm in right now. That's going for $1,600. If anyone wants to blow their stimmy check or something, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> it, it's an absolutely gorgeous guitar. But the one thing I just cannot part with is that uh, in 2017, after the Cubs win the World Series, um, they had this contest, this ring bearer contest. And uh, I, I was one of 20 fans that got to give uh, a player a uh, ring on the field. And so it was um, the way that you found out which player you were going to get. They handed out jerseys in the back over by right field where the knot hole is, where you can kind of see through from outside the park. And I got 47. I got the Miguel Montero jersey, and I have that autographed. So there is no other one. I could, like I said, I could blow $1,600. My wife would probably be pretty pissed, but I can get another guitar. I cannot get that Jersey. There's it's one of one, you know what I mean? So I have that autograph by Miguel Montero with the 2016 WS champs inscription. So that would have to be the one I'd have to run back and grab. See, that's, that's the right answer. And uh, to everyone listening, I'm going to do one of those teaser things they do in radio before I ever give my answer. I'm going to compile a list because I'm going to ask this question of every diehard Cubs fan I have on, and then eventually I'll give away mine. But I'm I'm with you in that type of thinking, Crawley. You have to save something that you cannot replicate. Now, like luckily, I've, we've got great photos, but most people have photos backed up on their computers or their phones now, so you could always reprint those, even autographs, unless it's, you know, RIP Ron Santo, Harry Carey, Ernie Banks. Unless they're dead, you could always get another one of those, hopefully. Um, So that's why one of one, one of one, there's no other Miguel Montero 
signed your or a Crawley signed jersey. Montero signed it, but it was your jersey, right? It was my jersey with his number on it. So the jersey on the back of the jersey it says Ring Bear, and then forty seven. So that's fantastic. Really so, an amazing, an amazing moment. And again, to think, you know, you're talking about in the future. It, it was just, you know, it's hard to believe that it, it was just recently. It was um, April twelfth was the anniversary. So that was just this last week. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. It was April twelfth. That was the that was the anniversary, the four year anniversary of the ring bearer ceremony that we had, uh, which has never been done before or since. You know what I mean? So twenty fans get to go on the field and and present a ring. It was such a cool idea. I really love the idea behind it and all that. Um, like the Cubs doing a super original. So again, I've seen you post a lot about it because you just like you just said the anniversary was a few days ago. And wow, 2017 was already four years. It's weird that 2016 was five years ago. I feel like time is just going by so quickly. It goes by slowly and quickly at the same time when you're a baseball fan. Because Absolutely. in the offseason, it's so slow. The regular season's so quick. It's heartbreaking sometimes. But the picture I've seen that I think to myself is so cool, and I, I shared it today on the at True Blue Cubs on Twitter. Everyone follow at True Blue Cubs if you're not already. Was you handing it off to Montero? And it kind of made me think of like that moment where, you know, when the father gives away the bride and then someone shakes the father-in-law's hand, there's always that weird little, not weird. It doesn't have to be weird, but that little exchange, just a few words as there's that handshake. When you're handing Miguel Montero, the man who drove in the eighth run of game seven, the guy who hit the biggest grand slam in Cubs history. Although Addison Russell's in game six, ah, that's up for debate, but Miguel Montero is at Wrigley at least <laughs> as you handed him his world series ring. What'd you say? Well, you know, they let us come out of that right field uh, little hole right there. And I, I've been on Wrigley before because I'm a season ticket holder. And so, like, every year they have season ticket holder day where your family comes. So I've been on the field before. That wasn't, like, new to me. But never in front of 40,000 fans all watching you. And that was, like, crazy. So we line all the way up, and we're going up the uh, first baseline. So from right field all the way to kind of towards home plate, like right by the visitor dugout. And there's this table and on the table are all the rings like just piled up like in these black boxes with like this case, you know? And so, you know, we're all like, holy shit. So it's like, every, we, we just kept all the 20 of us. We were just like, just don't trip, you know, one foot or the other. And so like, you know, it was Andrew Bellison. He just, um, he just left the Cubs, but he was the announcer, you know, and presenting to Miguel Montero. And, you know, and all of a sudden it happens. It's like, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then it happens. It always like a blur. But I grabbed the ring, I'm looking at it, and then I see Miguel, and I shake his hand, and I gave him the box, and I said, we are good, Miggy, we are good. And that was that, was that moment, and that was really, uh, it was, after we did it, you know, it was funny, you know, we just kind of just all were just like, just, it just all kind of came like a rush of emotions after it happened. And so, the funny story about that one, though, is, is after it's over, we're all kind of crying, we're all kind of hugging, it was just so, such an amazing moment. Uh, I remember because they had um, they were talking about the fans that were no longer with us, and we all know somebody that didn't make it to see it. You know what I mean? And uh, th that's when they uh, announced that they had rings for the family of Ernie Banks and the family of Ron Santo. And so, especially Ernie was pretty fresh. Ernie had passed away uh, in the you know in what 2015, right before the 2015 season. Um, and so it was just a lot, you know. And then I'm, but I had a lot of like friends and fans all in the stands that game. My my family, you know, we had like I had like six or eight people, and they were all kind of in different parts. So what I would do is I would I would do like this number one, like I kept saying like we're number one, but then I'd like point here, point there, and then I'd keep doing this we're number one. Well, I guess as the ceremony was going on and we're getting closer to game time, all the Dodgers 
come onto the field and they weren't there before when we came out, but now they were completely there. And so we're walking back and I'm just doing this, just like waving number one. And I'm sure I, I, I wasn't even thinking about the Dodgers, but then all of a sudden I bump, I go belly to belly. There's Tony, uh, there's Tommy Lasorda in full uniform in full Dodger uniform. And he looks at me and he says, kid, you better put that hand down or you're going to get your ass kicked. So that was uh, my, my Tommy Lasorda story. <laughs> oh, man, I would have said something back to him. I'd be like, oh, yeah, old man, I'll freaking Pedro Martinez Don Zimmer you right now. Don't ruin yeah, this moment for me. It this was, it was so matters tonight. <laughs> I didn't even, like I said, like, you know, you don't even expect Tommy Lasorda to even be in there. He wasn't even like the manager of the team. Where, where, did, you, where did you get the uniform from? Yeah, why but, was he there? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was pretty funny. And I always no, he's laugh. a great baseball guy, and RIP to him. He died recently. So that, was, that was a bummer. But he had a great life, so – Oh yeah. Great guy. Yeah, dude, I, I met him amazing. a couple times at Wrigley. He was a really nice guy to me actually. So yeah, my dad met him on the street once in downtown Chicago. And, uh, I don't know. He had a quick exchange with him and said he was a nice guy. He was like getting into a cab, but, uh, dude saying we are good. That's, that's a screenplay line. That's something like if someone's writing a movie about like that whole Cubs run, because Montero that I remember the 2015, we are good was the hashtag. Yep, and you know they just traded for Montero. I think he came up with that in like early April of that season. And the 2015 Cubs, I remember, I was higher on them than some other people were. I think I predicted 90 wins, and a lot of people were like 85, 87. This would be a step in the right direction, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, no, I've got higher hopes. You know, I had higher hopes, but uh, they won 97 games, which I don't think anyone saw coming. You know, I I thought like I I really liked what was happening at the end of 2014 because I think they were like 32 and 28 down the stretch. So I'm like, they're above 500. Arietta looks like he's for real. If we could just make a couple nice signings, and we did. You know, we traded for Montero, traded for Fowler, two great trades in which I can't remember what we gave up. Oh, no, Fowler, we gave up uh, Louis Valbuena, RIP. Um, But still, you make that trade 10 times out of 10. And then they signed Lester. Trying to think what other was there Joe Madden. I'm sorry, Joe Madden. Joe Madden. Yeah, Joe was Madden. A big yeah. They, Joe they Madden comes over, and people forget we were the third best team in 2015 as far as record wise. So I mean, the NL was stacked that year. The NL was stacked. We were. I remember that the Cardinals had the best record in all of baseball with 100 wins exactly. The Pirates had the second best record with 98. The Cubs and Royals were third best record in all of baseball, 97. And all three teams were in the Central. Uh, that was the last year the Pirates were good. Uh, but I remember thinking that was the first, I remember that year being like, I hate this stupid format uh, in which the third, the second and third best team in the whole sport, the Pirates and Cubs, one of them is going to be eliminated after that wild card game. That just didn't seem right to me. I'm like, both these teams, it should almost be like seedings where screw the divisions. It's just you're the National League, you're the American League. The Teams who finish first, second, third, fourth, fifth, those are your playoffs. And then the four and five seed face each other. Why have it where I understand why they had divisions, you know, that back in the day, easy, easier travel, and you wanted to create rivalries within like regions. But sometimes I'm like, just I just didn't like the idea of the fourth and fifth best team getting an easier path to the World Series or to the at least to the NLCS than the Cubs or Pirates would have gotten. You know, it's uh, it's funky and that happens every once in a while. But I'll, I'll tell you, I really enjoy the format, the wild card format. I like the fact that because there used to be one wild card. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I didn't like that. You know what I mean? You could just sneak in, get hot at the right time and take it all. And it's like didn't mean the you know, it didn't make the 
you know, it didn't make the regular season worth it. You know what I mean? It kind of cheapened it. And then when they added the second wild card and people complain, they're like, oh, it should be a series. It shouldn't be one. No, you want to, you want, you want to play a series, win your division. I like the one and done for the two wild card teams because it puts them at a disadvantage. They have to burn their best pitcher. And so it makes the road that much harder in my opinion. And, and so it's like, you want to, it, it for, it makes the season worth something to finish in first in your division, because you don't want to end up in that stupid in the wild card game and just end up one bad game. I mean, look at that Pittsburgh, you know, just ran into a buzzsaw into Jake Arietta, and th- that's it, you know? And so avoid that and you don't have to worry about it. So it makes winning your division worth something. You can't let up on the brakes. You can't do any of that stuff. You got to play it out. That's true. And do you like best of five for the first round though? Yeah, I'm, I'm good with best of five. Yeah. I don't Sometimes have a problem I with go that. go back and forth on it because best of seven, I know, I don't know. Best of seven for each round. Is that too much? But baseball is such a strange sport in that our playoffs are the least representation of the regular season. Like it's 162 games. And then you shrink it down to this small sample size of a best of five where basketball and hockey are both 82 games and they do best of seven for every round. Basketball used to be a best of five. Maybe they should go back to that um, because there's no surprises in basketball. Usually the you know talent like that doesn't really slump. Or in baseball, I always felt like the best of five, when you have depth in your starting rotation, it it doesn't it doesn't really help you as much because if you face like a team like the Nationals that year they won the World Series in 2019 they got two aces on the top they could you know best of five is fine same with Cleveland when we faced them in the World Series they had some injuries and still were able to overcome them because of the off days and the fact that you know in the first round they didn't have to really worry about it with the best of five scenario well that's that's what I would change is I don't like all the off days you know yeah, what I mean because then that like gives you the year. advantage. So if you, it's not like the regular season. So if you just made it without all, I mean, that's all TV bullshit. You know what I mean? If they made it where it was not like that and it, then, then the depth would be more important because you could, you'd be a lot riskier to bring a guy back on such short rest. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit. You and I being diehard true blue Cubs fans, what is going on? And maybe and this is, I still want to believe this is a small minority, but I've noticed that the last two seasons in particular, what is going on with Cubs fans being like, I'm okay with the White Sox doing well. Where are you from? Because in my brain, if you grew up a diehard Cubs fan, you knew what jerks White Sox fans can be. I still see it. I've gone to one Cubs game so far this year. It was a Monday night game. The Cubs won. Uh, it was uh, Jake um, yeah, Jake Williams' first start. No, Trevor Williams. Who the hell's Jake Williams, Joe? It was his first <laughs> start. Uh Contreras had a home run, half boat. It was a great game. And there was a dude walking around wearing a Mark Burley White Sox shirt. And I'm like, what is your, what are you just trying to start a fight? Who does that? It's, it's a Cubs versus Brewers game right now. And you're wearing a White Sox shirt. There's no reason for this. And that's just how they were my whole life growing up. I grew up on the Northwest side of the city, but my dad worked for the park district in a bunch of Bridgeport Park. So I was surrounded by Sox fans when I'd go to work with my dad and they were always this type of fan. I'm sorry. Give me, a, let me get into character, everybody, real quick. <laughs> hey, man. Um, what? Uh, no, here's me. It's me. I'm I'm a kid. I'm a little kid talking to him. I'll be like, Hey, what the did the White Sox win today? And I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely curious. And they would say, No, but the Cubs still suck. I'm like, Oh, we're not talking about the Cubs. I asked you if the White Sox won, and you immediately had to go after the Cubs. They have that stepchild mentality, and they always will. 
And maybe some of that's unfair because I know their 05 World Series team always gets forgotten by national media, (laughs) which does make me laugh. But as far as I'm concerned, Sox fans will never, I didn't know any of them. I, I knew, I saw Sox fans talking shit when we were down three games to one to Cleveland. Like they were miserable during that run. I had to like block them out to keep out their bad juju. And here I see Cubs fans being like, this Sox team's a lot of fun. I mean, sure, but don't. Don't put that out there. I don't want to see that. That's ugly. Here's here's the thing. I always it's kind of funny bringing that up because I've seen the same thing and I've also seen yeah. It's like oh well, San Diego looks like fun. I'll just root for them. It's like what? That's not how this works. It's not what fandom is, man. Is you root for your team? It's your team, and you know what? That's what made 2016 for the diehards so much special. Is you suffered. You could have easily, nobody would have, well, some people, but again, everyone would have understood like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm just going to be a Yankees fan because they win all the time. No, you stuck through the shit and you watched them win it all. And that made it a million times more special. Like you said, I grew up with, you know, all the time there'd be fights and arguments. I was in the bleachers and I was at different Cubs Sox games where there'd be fights breaking out everywhere. We didn't like them. They didn't like us. And that was that. I, I could never imagine that. Uh, a couple stories here. Here's, you know. Here's how here's how much I hated the White Sox and White Sox fans and all that shit is, uh, you know, 2003 was heartbreaking. I was at all the playoff games in 2003. I was at game six, you know, everyone, you know, the Bartman incident. I was at game seven when Wood hit the home run, the place was shaken and they lost it. And to lose that, that, that to me, uh, sometimes I still wonder if that was the best Cubs team I ever saw 2003. I know 2016 was great. But I'm just telling you, 2003 was a really, really great team that had a good mix of everything, of speed at the top of the order, good heart of the order, good defense. I mean, the pitching, it was absolutely unreal. And, uh, you know, you remember they lost in 2003. They choked it away, the Cubs, in 2004, and Boston won. So they end their curse. And people don't remember that the White Sox had one of the longest droughts. And so in 2005... Now they're going on a run, and all of a sudden the Cubs are just falling apart in 2005. And so, you know, I have a hard time. Like, I'll watch the playoffs if the Cubs weren't in contention. If the Cubs were in contention, that's really hard. But so I'm sitting there in 2005, and my neighbor's like, oh, you want to come over and watch the World Series? You know, he's kind of being half serious, half joking, because he's a big Sox fan. And I was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm not watching the World Series. And he was, like, shocked. He's like, it's a Chicago team. I'm like, I don't give a shit, man. I don't want to see that. I'm like, I'm not watching them. I don't want to give them the TV ratings. Yeah. So there's my goddamn neighbor would sit there and I kid you not, he went and he bought a shit ton of fireworks. And every time the Sox won a world series game, you know, I'd be in bed, like lights off, just wanted to get it out of my mind and things blowing up. And I'm all fucking pissed off about that. And, and so here's the thing about this whole situation. Like sometimes my mom, my mom always runs, like she's one of those people that runs into everybody. Like, do you know who I ran into today? Is like the first thing that I comes out of her mouth every time I see her. No, mom, who'd you run into? So she'll always sit there and she'll tell me about some girlfriend of mine that she ran into. I remember that girl you dated. I ran into her. And then she goes on to tell me everything. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about good for her. That's her life. I don't <laughs> care. That ain't my life. Same thing with the White Sox. Everyone's like, oh, isn't that Rodon's story? I don't give a fuck. Yeah, whatever. It's not my life. I'm, I'm watching the Cubs. I got issues that I'm dealing with here. I don't have time for like your little glee party over there in the South side. You want to sit there and pretend like I give a shit? I don't. And do I want them to be successful? No. And do I care because they're a Chicago team? No, I don't want them to win. I don't want them to have success. And that's that. And I'm not, that's not going to change, man. I, 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 till the day I die, like 
funny story is I have a little daughter. I have a daughter, a younger daughter. She's not little anymore. She's, in her th she's like 13. But she, when she was like five years old, she was one of those girls that had like a new boyfriend every week. And yeah. so my wife would, you know, she'd always tell my wife first, like, I got a boyfriend. And then all of a sudden, like my wife would bring it up at dinner and, 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 and be like, so Alyssa, did you tell your dad about your new boyfriend? And I'd be like, and she'd look at me and she'd roll her eyes and go, don't worry, dad. He's not a Sox fan. Like, okay, babe, that's, that's, that's good. So that was always like, I, I have a hard time wrapping around how people are just like, you know, yippee skippy about the White Sox. I'm not. I just think that's why I tried to say, I think it's a small minority and I, I'm, I'm imagining most Cubs fans are still like you and I. Um, I've heard some people say, well, since we've won, it's kind of changed a little bit. I go, look, I'm not telling anyone that you have to actively go out of your way to say socks suck and start fights and all that no. kind of stuff. But I don't root for them. I don't. And I've got good friends. I'm, I'm good buddies with Herb Lawrence on the score. And, you know, I talk with him sometimes and, you know, and he's the same way. He's like, yeah, I'm not rooting for the Cubs. But in the same regard, he was like, I don't go out of my way to hate them. But I no, feel I I'm with you, though, mostly, man. I can't wrap my head around people who are like, I'll, I'll sum it up like this. You talked about that neighbor who was shooting off fireworks. <laughs> I was actively rooting against them in 05. I remember going to some bars in Wrigleyville and um, I think was I under, no, I just turned 21 and I was going out with my cousins and it was world series, like game one. And they'd bought Astros hats to wear, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and I couldn't believe how many bars were filled with Sox fans around Wrigleyville. And then I'm like, this pisses me off. I'm like, go to your neighborhood, go to Sox bars. Why are you here? It, it was just, it made me so pissed off. Then 2006 Facebook starts. I cannot tell you how many people on MySpace before and on Facebook had as their profile pictures, the Wrigley field marquee that said, congratulations, 2005 World Series champions, White Sox. They didn't have their own stupid firework sign. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have the White Sox celebrating on the field in Houston as their profile picture. But they had one just to rub. They live to rub it in our faces. And even right. though we've been the more successful franchise the past decade, because you know the White Sox hadn't made the playoffs in the entire 2000 to 2020 decade, really. Um, I know they got in as the third place team last year and that expanded Mickey Mouse playoff system, but I, I can never, I just, I, they're out of sight, out of mind. That's how the White Sox were for me yeah, these last exactly. seven years. They were it out, of been, sight, it, out of mind. It, it, you know, you might as well just told me last night that someone from the Baltimore Orioles got a no hitter. I would have had the same reaction. Like, Meh, that's good. Too. Good same for him, reaction. man. The only thing that made it interesting with Carlos Rodon is because I wanted the Cubs to sign him in the offseason because I knew we needed a left-handed starter, and I knew he was within our wheelhouse. Uh, I put in quotes because we all know the Cubs' wheelhouse of spending should be much bigger than it is, but I knew that was like the shopping bin we were looking in. You know, a guy who I think he signed for like four or five million. I'm like, that's in our. I think it was like three. I think it was like three even. It might have been three million. You're probably right, but I remember yeah. being like, we're probably in that range. I think we signed Trevor Williams for two point five million instead, which could end up being a better overall signing. Who knows? I mean, he's had two starts, so looked really strong in one and looked eh in the other. But anyhow, all right. Um, I didn't get your lastly your favorite player of this past decade. I didn't get that one. I mean, obviously, Miggy is up there, but I mean, you you know, you almost have to go with Anthony Rizzo. You know, he really you know, embodies a lot of what you like with the Cubs and, and, and Rizzo w had like a, just such an interesting arc, you know what I mean? Coming in, you know, when he did, when the, when that team was just in the full on rebuild and j you're just like, Oh my God. And, and, and it, you know, how many hundred lost seasons were there between like 
2011 and 2014, it was just like, oh my God, this is just awful. And then, you know, he got, you know, he's what the longest tenure cub now. So, I mean, just, he was there to experience everything. And so, you know, you just, he really is the modern face of the franchise. He really is. Yeah. I was lucky enough to see his debut in 2012. Um, and people forget the 2012 season, which was Theo's first year. We, we, he'd signed on the dotted line in the off season of 2011. Um, and the Kashner for Rizzo trade. I remember some Cubs fans were not happy about that because they had high hopes for Kashner. But at the time, I thought it was a good move because I figured Kashner was going to have an injury-plagued career. Uh, oh, I forgot to address this, too. Uh, someone in the comments, Kozuna77, said, if you're a true fan, 03 still hurts. 07 and 08 hurts as well. 03, though, in particular, because, Carl, you're talking about what an amazing team that was. And it it is strange to me how that mirrors the demise of the 03 team Take away the loss, but the seasons after that, I always felt were because we let go of Kenny Lofton. Yeah, and yeah, that's always been a weakness. If you look at, I was talking to you earlier about Cubs team, right? When you talk about the Cubs first baseman, how good it's been. Take a look at the history of the Cubs center field. It's not well leadoff in particular. Leadoff man and center field, you know, and that's what you usually think about when you think about a good leadoff man. Usually, your center fielder does not necessarily, but. It's just like the leadoff man's always been a struggle. And like you said, the Cubs were almost like a little bit over slightly above 500 at the all-star break. And then they make some trades where you get, you know, you get Bob, you get Bobby Hill for Ramos Ramirez and Kenny Lofton and Randall Simon. You bring in all these guys and all of a sudden that team was just out there. And like I said, look at that, go back and look at that lineup one through nine and, you know, one through eight and look at that pitching staff. I mean, where you had, Wood, who was on top of his game, probably his best season. You had Mark Pryor, who was clearly had his best season. Should have been Cy Young. Matt Clement with the soul patch and Young Carlos Zambrano. 22. Yeah. yeah. It's it's unreal. So they were just such a good they were such a good team. And they like I said, you had like a good one-two punch at the top middle of the order where you had Sosa and Alou and, and then you had like a lot of good bench guys like Eric Karros and stuff like and Randall Simon. They were just fun and other than the bullpen, the bullpen was the weakness, and that's what got him in the end. You know what I mean? But uh, you know, boy, it was that was oh three was a special team for me. You know, oh seven and eight were fun, but you know that oh three team was probably like one that one season where like like you know what I mean? I had just gotten married, I had no kids, I had a lot more freedom, you know, and and so I went to so many games that season, and I was just so invested and so confident that this that was the year. I know I, I would always say that like every year, but there was no doubt in my mind that. 2003 they were the best team and i still sometimes in my head think that that was the best team they didn't win it all but they were still the best team and they only won 89 regular season games and god it was so brutal i actually went to a spring training game that year in florida i saw the marlins versus the cardinals in spring training and i remember coming back you know i was in high school and i told some friends that i like that young that marlin team they're young but they might do some damage and then when there was going to be Cubs Marlins in the playoffs. I had a friend remind me. He's like, didn't you see the Marlins? And you said they'd be good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got this. We got this Cubs in five, <laughs> you know, like, um, and then they, they want, but I, I honestly, this is a true story. Some people I've told this to, and they think I'm, I'm full of it. I had a nightmare about how that play, that series ended once every seven to 10 days for maybe a decade. I'm not kidding you. It really affected me where I would have dreams where we did win and the World Series was starting and I couldn't find my car keys and I had to get down to the stadium because I had tickets to game one and all this. And it really was, that fucked me up, that loss. And um, and I will 
look, I know he's a nice guy and people love him, but Dusty Baker to me is just the way he got outmanaged and then the subsequent seasons in which he insisted on betting Nafi Perez second and <laughs> um, just every like decision he made that just made you scratch your head and the idea that, you know, Mark Pryor in the month of se- September of 2003, Mark Pryor averaged, I'm talking averaged, 130 pitches per start. If you if you were a manager of a team in this day and age right now in the year 2021 and you let your 22-year-old ace even get to 120 pitches in a start, you're probably fired. Like I'm <laughs> like I'm not even like not even exaggerating. And he was throwing this guy and you're right there was something about that team they had this moxie this uh this it was there was a there was a feeling about that team and I really really loved that team. Um, there there was a big Cardinals Cubs series where I remember where Larusa and and Baker John at each other and it was it was so intense and it was it was so fun. But yeah, I'm on I'm I'm on board with you. Yeah, that that that, that was really tough because I'm at the game and like the, the whole park is shaking. Like you just feel the buzz like going throughout the stadium when we get to the eighth inning. And, and I remember people counting the outs, like chanting the outs, like six more outs, six more outs, and then five more outs. And I remember the five more outs thing. Like that one kicked into me because that was like, I don't know, for whatever reason, like I said, this is it. I'm going to be here and I'm going to experience it when they clinch it. And like, I was, I, I was like just getting way ahead of myself. And I'm like thinking about like, I have a shirt guy. I'm like, I want to, I want to make sure I get it. Sh- Cause you knew they're, they're going to break out the. 2003 NLCS champ shirt. And I wanted to be one of the first to get one and put it on. And I'm like, I'm like planning my, my strategy to get to my shirt guy to make sure that I got one and I'm all jacked up. And then all of a sudden it just, that's the thing is it just went from like the ultimate high you could ever experience to the most like earth shattering bone crushing loss you could ever, ever imagine. And, and when we walked out of there, like we were all just like stunned. Like it was like, we just got sucker punched. And I remember like being like a zombie walking around Wrigley, like not even sure like where my car was, where I was going, what was going on. Like I, I, rem- I remember this clearly, like this is when like you started to have like people were taking like, like there was like Xerox copies of like the, the whole play and people were like trying to find this guy from like a pixelated, you know, printout. We're going to find this motherfucker. He's somewhere on Wrigley. We're like, just like, like a lynch mob looking for this guy. We, we, we can't find him. And it was just, you know, obviously not his fault, but. But yeah. that night, you had to imagine what it was like to be there, and 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 um, here's the thing: is in twenty, they learned from that experience because in 2015, 2016, they didn't allow the fans on the streets. So if you were in 2003, like at uh, Sheffield and Waveland were packed, like you couldn't even move, like body to body with fans, like screaming on the outside. And so the whole thing happened with Bartman, like really quick, like you know, Alou. And I always, I always, I sit right over there and Alou, like he never made any effort to like, like he wasn't the greatest glove guy. He never thought he's right there. The only time he I ever saw him going that field, if we're being honest, right. The only time I saw him go in that corner is that's where he used to stash his chew. His yeah. tobacco would be like right in between the padding. He'd go over there and he always had like a big dip in there, you know? And, uh, you know, he go he sits there and the play happens kind of really quick. And then everyone's just like, ah, oh. but like, it wasn't like as big of a deal at the time. And then Gonzalez bobbles a double play, and then the inning just goes to shit. And what we're ha- what's happening is like uh, 
they used to have all those old box TVs hanging from like the things like all over the place. And so we're all like turning around trying to kind of like, you know what I mean? Like this whole innings going on. We're like, what the fuck is anybody up in the bullpen? What the hell's going on? And we're like all in like this panic mode. And then you're looking back on these old TV monitors and you're seeing now how close Alu was. Cause like, you know, like real time and everything you don't, you know, you're not really sure. You're like, "Eh, did he have it? I don't know. And then they show the replay where like his glove and the hands right there. And you're just like, he fucking had that. And so then all the people on Waveland and Sheffield start chanting asshole from the outside coming in. I was in in there. (laughs) I wasn't at the game, but I was in the crowd or I was on the street. I was on Sheffield and I had a moment like you had. You said you dawned on you with five outs left right around that time Four, or not five, four outs, obviously, because we never got there. But right around this six outs, maybe when that chance started happening, I had to piss real bad. So I had a little TV that people were crowding around me. And I was 19 years old and yeah, people were crowding around me and I felt awesome because like people were like, Hey, you need a beer, man. You need anything. <laughs> like we got it. We got you hooked up. You're the man. Cause I was like sh- holding up a TV for people to watch. I had another friend. I'm like, dude, hold the TV. I gotta, I gotta piss. So me and my one buddy, we went to pee in the, like the gangway next to a bar that has changed names several times over and might be a Starbucks now. It was called High Tops. High Tops. Time. Remember High Tops? <laughs> yeah. Then it became Harry Carey's. I think a little bit later. Yes. Yeah, so and now I think it's a Starbucks. Or it was Club One Sixty Two for a moment and something else. But it was actually a pretty big underage bar. And um, I remember feeling the way you felt, feeling just like I'm in a haze. I don't know what I'm going to do. All this this happened. You know, the apartment play. And, and when we saw the highlight, we were like, he had that. And then more than anything else, Gonzalez, who was so such a great glove man. I'm like, how did he not turn that? And then I remember being like, why did Dusty come out and calm anyone down? It felt like right. no one came out until it was, it was already out of hand. And Pryor was always so composed. And you see him pointing at stuff and he lost control. And he was known for his pinpoint control. And so my friends dragged me into that bar. You know, we were underage kids, but we knew we could get into high tops. <laughs> and again, I was feeling so depressed. I'm like, I don't want to be here. Why are we? We shouldn't be having fun right now. This is nuts. Then they had the TVs on and some show was like, I don't know who it was. Maybe it was like Fox baseball was like, but don't worry, Cubs fans. You've got this man going tomorrow night. And then they showed Carrie Wood highlights. And at the same time, the bar decided, oh, we're not going to have the TV sound anymore. And then it kicked into this Nelly song. Um, <laughs> I think it was the song was EI. I think that was the name of the E-I, song. E-I. Yeah. And it was, and it, the beat to that song was like perfectly with like a montage of Kerry Wood's strikeouts. And he had, you know, he had such nasty stuff. And I remember being like, oh, we got this shit. Game seven tomorrow, Kerry Wood. Let's fucking go. Let's get our heads up. Come on now. And then I started dancing around like a drunk idiot. And then, of course, uh, I didn't go out the next day though, because I said to myself, I was the most superstitious Cubs fan before we got Theo. When we, get, we got Theo, I'm like, we got smart people in charge now. What I have for lunch does not affect the players. I got out of that, especially when Madden came in where it's like, forget this pressure nonsense. We should, we should thrive on pressure. And so I was like, you're right. The pressure should not exceed the pleasure. And I totally, I gave up every knocking on wood thing I ever had. But for game seven, I'm like, I'm not watching on the street. I got to go back to my dad's basement, my basement. I was living there at the time. And um, I'm watching there. And you talked about the Wrigley Field shaking when Kerry Wood hit the home run in game seven. I jumped so high. The button on the top of my Cubs hat made a hole in the ceiling. There's still like <laughs> this little button size hole in my parents' basement from me jumping in the air because I went nuts for that. But yeah, I've, man. Been, I've been at Wrigley a few times where it's shaking like that, like because I'm always in the upper deck. And so like there's times where all of a sudden you're like, oh, my gosh, it feels like an earthquake. Like you feel the tremors. 
And I've been to like, uh, there's only four or five times I can, it was the first time I ever experienced that was game one of that same series when Sammy hit the home run to getting in. I was there lower deck. I was in the two hundreds. Yeah. And then, then there was that Kerry Wood game seven. Uh, I was uh, Miguel Montero game. One of the NLCS that was shaking. And then the David Bodie uh, walk off ultimate slam against Washington. I was there for that. And the place was just literally shaking like that too. So in the upper deck, you all nervous for the old girl, the old ballpark. You hope that it doesn't like, you know, it doesn't collapse on you. Cause you really like, it's like a weird feeling when everything just starts shaking like that. I've never been in an earthquake, but uh, I, I just assume that's what it feels like. Oh man, you've been in some great games. All right. Now this is probably the part of the podcast we're not as excited about. Uh, <laughs> we will talk about the current 2021 Cubs. We've, of course, we've mentioned what the 2016 Cubs have meant to us, and I think that's a given. We don't need to, you know, I feel like I still love talking about the 2016 Cubs. It's so much fun, and, you know, maybe once every couple weeks. It was pretty frequent for a while, but now it's not as often. I'll pop on YouTube and watch some cool Cubs montage videos of highlights from the 2016 team. You know, of course, there's the one, there's a really good one where someone does like the Remember the Titans score to like the Cubs coming back in game seven or coming back in the Cleveland series, I should say, which is really good. Um, there's that song unstoppable. That was like the big MLB playoff anthem that year. There's some good Cubs highlights to that one. So if you guys are feeling down in the dumps about Cubs baseball, <laughs> pop on YouTube, you'll feel much better. Trust me. Um, now you famously said, and you could bring it up right now that there are two types of Cubs fans. I'll let you explain. Yeah, you know, th- there's there's two types of Cub fans. I think that the, the, there there's, there's you're either a Banks or a Santo. If you're a Banks, you're the type of guy that's always positive, always optimistic, and, and you don't let you know the previous day kind of get you down. Where when you think of Santo, you know, Santo is like I think that's why he was so beloved by so many people, and why he wasn't the world's greatest broadcaster, but we loved him because you could pop into the car the fifth inning turn on the radio within 30 seconds, figure out if the Cubs were winning or losing based on if Ron Santo was sighing or how he was answering Pat's questions. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that are Santos and I'd consider myself a Santo as well. You know, like I, I, I get up, I get down. It's a range of emotions. It may all occur in one game, but you talk about the Brant Brown, that's the famous, Oh no, you know? And then when the Cubs clinched the double header in 2003, I, I, I saw the clips. I was at that game, the double header, they clinched against Pittsburgh but seeing the clips afterwards of him just when they clinched, just standing up and clapping, like, you know, he just loved them so much, but, but it was a roller coaster ride for him too. So that like, I feel like that's a lot of Cub fans relate to Santo much more than Banks because Banks just had this air of positivity. It's like, how does this guy, you know, stay happy all the time and so optimistic, especially the amount of bad baseball Ernie saw in his lifetime on some of those Cubs teams were just awful. And so, you know, I think that for Cub fans, there are people that kind of are kind of all over the map and go up and down, and there's others that kind of tend to stay more positive. So I understand both sides. I just can't help what I am, you know? Oh, no, definitely not. And <laughs> for people listening to this podcast, I've gotten some I've gotten some traction on Cubs Twitter these last few days for some of my rants. I started doing these Cubs postgame uh, recap videos last year, uh, last season, because you know, the pandemic shut down my world of stand-up comedy. And I had some friends who are like, you love talking about the Cubs. You should, you know, do some more Cubs content. And so I just was too easy to just go on my phone and load it up to Twitter as soon as I was done. And, um, 
I, I'm more of a Ernie Banks Cubs fan, but I didn't always, I wasn't always that guy. I was more like a Ron Santo Cubs fan for a very long time. And then I changed. Like I said, something just told me when we got Theo and then Madden and then Miguel Montero's positive attitude of we are good and just this belief where it's like, there are no curses. There was never <laughs> this, all this stuff was like, just, we had this bad mentality and I truly 100% ditched it going into 2016. Because in 2015, we played that wild card game against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And I remember some Cubs fans being like, damn, I wish this was this game was in Wrigley. And I thought, no, I don't actually. As diehard as I am a Cubs fan, I'm glad that game was on the road. Because I remember in 08, the Cubs went down 4-2 to two in game one. And the whole stadium acted like we had just been swept. And I remember being like, you know what? I just don't want that. I'm sorry, because sadly, and you know it to be true, Crawley, a lot of Cubs playoff games get bought by a lot of people who aren't really the best of Cubs fans and the real diehards get squeezed out because of scalping and all sorts of price gouging. And it just gets, it gets really hard for like the average fan who's, you know, there through and through to go to the game. And I just didn't want that atmosphere because in my head, I'm like, Jake Arrieta is the Cy Young. He's been dominant, but he'd been so dominant. What if, you know, what if he hung a pitch in the first inning? We go down one nothing, and that's at Wrigley. And the whole Wrigley crowd acts like, well, wait till next year, even though it's the second inning or something. I just thought that attitude needs to be erased. The Cubs went deep enough in 2015 where Cubs fans were kind of like, oh, no, we're on to something. I remember, losing, you know, we got swept by the Mets, which everyone hates the Mets. If you, you know, all of our dads trained us to hate the Mets. Mm-hmm. And I, it sucked, but I remember not being as heartbroken as say like 030708 because it felt like no this is the start of something great um and i'm sure you felt the same or maybe you didn't feel the same way i don't know i was at um i was there at the game and when they got swept uh you know at the, all the playoff games in 2015 i mean that cardinal series was absolutely just rocking like you can uh, i think they set a record for postseason home runs in one game and and then schwarber hits one on top of the the scoreboard all that it was just such a magical run, and it was hard, you know what I mean, because because uh, you know see it come to an end like that just so quickly, and it just that pitching that the Mets had that year, you know Harvey and Syndergaard and Degrom and all those guys, they were just unstoppable. But I remember them coming out of the dugout afterwards and tipping their, and the fans were like, with the feeling that this was just the beginning. Yes, see that's that, but that's a great thing, and I think that's why I get angry with Cubs fans on Twitter that I see. And, and again, you're, everyone has the right to be a fan, however they want to be a fan. If you want to be doom and gloom all the time, that's okay. But I've been seeing the doom and gloom for a few years and I've been on both sides of that coin. And I just want people to know it's better. It's, it's almost a little bit better to kind of have, and I'm not, by the way, Carly, I don't consider you with the, the fans that I get mad at on Twitter because you, for the most part, I think, are still pretty optimistic overall. You're honest. You're like, they suck right now. That was a terrible ending. You do, you, you do live tweeting of that nature, which I get, you know, um, because again, you have a website, Crawley's Cubs clubhouse is the website, right? We got a Facebook Crawley's clubhouse and yeah, on, on, on Twitter at Crawley's Cubs. And then you got, um, a website www.crawleysclubhouse.com. So yeah, a lot of different things, and and try to try to give people, like I said, we, Joe, we're we're lucky that we live in the Chicagoland area, and we get marquee, and we can go to games all the time. And we, you got to remember, a lot of Cup fans don't have that. So I try to kind of 
clue them in is what, what the vibe's going on around the area, what, what's happening and that kind of thing, you know, and then I like to share those things out with people mainly, but I, I get what you're saying. It's just the issue this year is tough. And, and this is where the, the 2020 team is different, especially because what's happened here is that you're, you're in a situation like in 2017, if you remember 2017, they kind of stunk to start off the season and everyone was yeah, calling it the hangover. There are two games below 500 at the all-star break. Yeah. It's a hangover, the hangover effect, all that stuff. And, and this and that, but you didn't worry as much because you knew you had time, the long season, 162, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Here's the reason I think a lot of Cub fans are just feeling this dread and anxiety. And it's hard not to is because a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, this is really it. And people say 162, you got a full season. No, in my opinion right now, it's not. You have 60 games to show what you got here because this is this is Jed Hoyer's ball now. This is his game, and he has to make a decision. And so April, May is done, and if you go in April, May, and you're taking a look and you really don't feel you have a competitive enough team to go deep in the postseason, all these guys, the guys that we all love and know forever, Javi, Bryant, uh, Baez, or I'm sorry, Javi, Rizzo, Bryant, Jake Arrieta, all on one-year deals. Davies, Peterson, one-year deals. You got one crack at this. And so all of the – this is – you 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 played, what, uh, 12 games, and you've had six with the Brewers and six against the Pirates. You needed a better start. And now you take a look at the upcoming schedule, and that's – those are some good teams that are going to be facing. Atlanta's a good team. Uh, you, you, the Dodgers, Cincinnati's been crushing the ball. And so the concern here is, is if this team is looking like a 500 team or if they're four or five back games back in May, I don't see Jed Hoyer having a lot of patience. I think he's going to try to jump the market. You know, he's going to want to be the, you know what I mean, the first one out there. And if you can package a, a Kimbrel and a Bryant to a contender, you can get a pretty hefty return. At the same time, if, 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 if you know what I mean, like if all of a sudden the season ends, you're going to get some draft picks and shit like that. But with this team, the, I think the Cubs farm system, this is the difference between 2015, 2016, and now. I think the farm system's in way better shape. I think there's a wave of talent at one at single A and double A that's kind of like two years away from where these guys are leaving off. I got a feeling there's gonna be like this two-year gap if we don't if we do nothing. If we let everybody walk at the end of the season, there's gonna be a two, three-year gap where this team is just not gonna be able to contend much. Okay, or maybe be mediocre. But I think in a couple of years, that's where Jed has talked about the next great Cubs team. When you take a look at Cole Franklin, if you took take a look at Braylon Marquez and, and Brennan Davis, there's a lot of talent that did not exist when Theo came here in any level of the minor leagues. So, but but you know, everybody just for me, it's hard because I love these guys so much. I want to see them succeed. And I know that there's just not the patience that you can normally be like. Hey, maybe they can turn it on in August. No, if if they're if they're not looking competitive, you're going to see a lot of guys that you love being gone sooner rather than later. I I agree with everything you just said, which is why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. This could very well be the last, not even season, the last couple months. Because I agree with you. If April and May are mediocre, if they're treading 500, even maybe a couple above, a couple below, perhaps. Come early June, you don't really see trades in May, so I'm going to say June-ish, yeah. early June. You're, you're going to see, like like you said, Kimbrel and Bryant being packaged together, which, by the way, could give you a hell of a return. If Kimbrel is this Kimbrel up until June, 
an elite closer. I mean, think about what we gave up for Chapman and what other teams have given up for elite closers at the trade deadline. That's a that's at least a top 50 prospect or so. Um, and then if you pack them together with Bryant, you're talking about a nice return here. That's why I think I'm acting the way I'm acting, where I'm like, listen, do you want to look back and think to yourself, I was I didn't, I was miserable the entire time, the guys, and and that's what I'm really the most upset about. I I know they're having a bad year. I think some people are like, dude, you got to admit that the offense sucks. I'm like, yeah, of course the <laughs> offense sucks. I I have eyes. I'm not. I'm watching the games. We know this. Like, I just don't think I don't think it helps to be tweeting it every fucking day. Because are you going to keep that up? Are you going to are you going to tweet every day the whole season? This offense sucks because you're going to give yourself an aneurysm. And I don't want that stranger who I'm making <laughs> up right now. I don't want you to experience that. I want you to accept the fact that, hey, this could be the last couple months with Javier Baez and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo even. This could be. And you don't want to look back being like, fuck, man, that you're really like, it's going to suck regardless of it happens. I just think there's a better approach. And um, but to what you said, this isn't like the rebuild of back then because this is a better minor league system. Yeah, I When Jed says the next great Cubs team, I don't know what he means by that, but I, I've seen a lot of fans making posts about a complete top-to-bottom rebuild. Fans listening right now, you hold this ownership to the fire. Do not let them convince you they need another three-year rebuild like from 2012 to 2014 because that is complete bullshit. They have $100 million coming off the payroll. I think the payroll is like 150 right now, and they only have about $50 million committed I'm not talking about the arbitration eligible players. Obviously, that bumps it up a little bit, but not a lot because it's not like you got Javis and Bryants who are kicking up another seven to ten million on their uh, previous salaries. They have an insane amount of salary in which they could play with, and the prospects aren't that far away, like you said. Brendan Davis is 21. Who knows if he has a great season this year? He could be someone who's on track to make an appearance in 2022, second half of the season, perhaps. I don't really know what the timeline is going to be for him. Braylon Marquez is a 20, 21 year old, throws 101 miles an hour. Those guys, as long as they have control, you kind of bring them up. There's no sense. It's not like they're not like hitters. Hitters, you usually want to see X amount of at bats at the minor league level. You know, Nico got rushed because that was weird circumstances. But with a pitcher, I mean, we saw the White Sox. They drafted a guy in June and brought him up in August of last season. Crochet? Yeah, because he throws 100 and he's got control. (laughs) If you throw 100 and you have control, there's no sense in being like, well, let's see how this 100 miles an hour plays at double A. You know how it plays. It plays the same way it plays everywhere. Difficult, right? It's hard to hit. (laughs) Bring him up. Um, I just think there's no reason. Look, we all know the offense needs a makeover. And as heartbreaking as it's going to be, I still say extend Rizzo because what he's meant to the organization. you, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that. And then you could give your thoughts. And that's kind of how I like to do this podcast. It's like a past present and like a future of Cubs baseball. I'm going to say this, and maybe that could be some of the fun we could have as Cubs fans. Cause again, look, it's miserable to watch on TV and everyone keeps saying to me, Joe, Twitter's a negative place. Are you new to Twitter? Ha ha ha. Yeah. It doesn't have to be negative though. And I, and we don't have to be cheerleaders and rah, rah, rah either, but let's try to at least make it a little fun for each other. I want Rizzo extended. God, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but let's say Javi continues to play the way Javi's been and has a, a bad season like he's having. I don't know. I think I go out and talk to Corey Seager. I think I try to make him a big contract offer. Trevor Story is also available. Uh, Carlos Correa will be is only 26 right now. 
He's entering free agency next. He'll be 27 next season. It'll be his age 27 season. That's a guy you you feel comfortable giving six to seven years with, even with the cheating scandal under his belt. I don't know. Um, what's his name? Uh, Simeon, the guy who's with Oakland but not anymore. Was his name Marcus Simeon? I think his name was. Marcus wasn't he with the White Sox? He's a White Sox prospect. The White Sox was a bad. You know, see the White Sox made some dumb trades too. They let go of him way too early. He was a top five MVP candidate with Oakland in 2019. Uh, but there are some shortstops out there. And even if you're if you're Jed Hoyer thinking, well, we've got a lot of shortstops in the pipeline. I don't want to do a long-term shortstop for someone. Then go sign Jose Iglesias to two years. Okay, give you know what I mean? And then you can move him around if Ed Howard comes knocking on the door sooner than you thought or if this Christian Hernandez kid, who I think is only 18 though. So again, they're still a few years away. But there's enough big bats in free agency to replace our current big bats. And you might even save some money on their projected salaries. You know, if, if Chris Bryant's asking for 23 million, I'm sure you could, um, I don't know who the third baseman market is right now. It's actually a little bare. My idea was that if Kyle Seager opts out with Seattle, which I believe he has the option to do, why not talk to both Seager brothers and say, Hey, do you want to be the left side <laughs> of our infield? You could be third. You could be short. We have Nico Horner at second, Anthony Rizzo at first. And then we, we could, you know, keep Ian Happen center and find, and hopefully Nick Castellanos opts out. He could be our DH if that's coming. I'm just saying it's not this idea that they need to, you know, bring it down to the studs is, is wrong to me. And as fans with the third highest ticket prices in the league, it's unacceptable. And Crawley, I've heard you say on your great podcast, which everyone should definitely check out the Sun Ranto podcast. It's, it's awesome. And I'd love to have the, the Danny and um, uh, Michael on this podcast as well. Danny, I might have on my regular podcast because he's got he knows the world of music too. So he's, he's oh, yeah. a, you know he's got some stories. I feel like it would work for a wider than just baseball fan audience. But um, I I just think that uh, you've said this, Crawley, that Marquee needs ratings. Marquee makes its money off of commercials. So if they're just going to be like we're rebuilding for 2022, and we have a lineup that is like the 2012 lineup where it's like Nate Sherholt saying, you know, like guys <laughs> are just like, what is this? Where, David DeJesus. Yeah, David DeJesus was the high-priced guy on that 2021 team. Yeah. Well, or 2012 team, I mean. Um, I guess Soriano was at his last, but you know, everyone's like, he's out the door. Um, but yeah, I just think as fans, we should not... Obviously, we're not going anywhere. We love this team. But there's definitely something we should not just accept that. I feel like that that rebuild that led to the 2016 World Series victory went as smoothly as a rebuild's ever gone. And it's tricked fans into thinking that's how rebuilds go. Right. We and know damn well it's not. With the marquee, you know, that that's the thing is is that you the way that that's, you know, Crane Kenny made the infamous quote at a Cubs convention about wheelbarrows full of cash. That wheelbarrows full of cash don't come unless you got ratings. And right now, I think the other day I saw a gout commercial on marquee. You're not making big money on gout commercials. You know what I mean? It's you need you need Pepsi, you need you need uh, Nike, you need you need some big names advertising. <laughs> Coca-Cola, there you go. I go with the with the Club 400, my Crystal Lake Brewing, but uh, Better you know, there's all there's all sorts of sh you know you got to be able to like get eyeballs on there. So you know, marquee is something, and and I still don't think that 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 really has taken off. Like you know, I think there's still a lot of stuff programming wise that they're missing out on. And, you know, it didn't help that you launch a network in the middle of the pandemic. Like, you know, no, it's kind of like sarcastic to say where you just say, like, that's Cub. You know what I mean? That was like yeah, their hashtag God. a little while. It's like, oh, my God, if any team is going to start launching a network in the middle of a pandemic, Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, it's, but what would it's, you do, though, Crawley? I want to hear your opinion. Oh, the last thing I'll, I'll just button that real quick. Um, 
the Cubs will need to put out a winning product to get commercial ratings. I think is yeah. our greater point overall. Um, I think, I think they could do a 2016 style rebuild where you know, I'm not 2016 style rebuild. What the Yankees did in 2016, remember the Yankees in 2016 traded Chapman traded Kashner. I think there might've been another guy they let go. And then in 2017, they went right back to the ALCS and lost to the Astros. I mean, obviously they had a, a couple closer guys like judge and Gary Sanchez, but for the most part and three teams, three teams in the last 10 years have not had a top 10 draft pick in the last decade from 2010 to 2020, the Red Sox, Yankees, and Cardinals are the only three teams to never pick in the top 10. The Dodgers, I think, did in like 2011, and then they went on a, a run. Because um, the Dodgers, I think, as great as Andrew Friedman is, the Dodgers present. He's awesome. I'm not taking anything away from him. He inherited a 95-win team, a $200 million payroll, and a farm system that had all these guys that he didn't draft that are stars for them now. Cody Ballinger, he didn't draft. Seager didn't draft. Anyway, I'm not taking away from Friedman. I'm just reminding people it's not exactly apples to oranges. So what would you do? Say our worst dream, our worst nightmares come true and we're not competing around the trade deadline and a fire sale happens. What what, what do you see for the future? I mean, clearly you do want to keep Rizzo. I mean, it's just... I mean, you know, sometimes you look at the old pictures where Ron Santos wearing a White Sox uniform, or I think Billy Williams wearing an Oakland A uniform. And you're just like, oh, fuck, can't do that. Kills you. So Break you'd love heart. to keep Rizzo. What he brings to the team, offense, you know, he's one of the few guys that actually changes his approach, you know, on two strikes. You know, you just wish more guys, you're like, why would not, you know, more guys not do that, you know, and, uh, you know, what he's meant defensively, so talented defensively. I think that's just so underrated sometimes. You know, the way he charges a bunt, some of the plays, you nice. know, the famous tarp catch, uh, just so many things that that guy, the one where, uh, where in that was it the world series where Rossi, I can't remember if it's NLCS or world series where it comes out of Rossi's glove and he's just right there to just so many things that Rizzo's done. You just would love to keep him. And, and not only that, but just kind of the character he's been outside stuff he's done for cancer research and Lurie's hospital. And, uh, Joe, you know, more than anything, the stand up for cancer. Yeah, everyone else. I was I was lucky enough to perform at two of his stand up for uh, cancer events. Uh, I got to host the one in January of 2020, and then two months later, the whole world shut down. So that was kind of one of like my <laughs> very few highlights of the year 2020 as far as the stand comedian goes. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Crawley. And you know, people make a big deal about his bad back. He's never missed significant time though for the no. back. Um, he he got hurt at the end of 2019, but that was because he had that weird his foot like exploded basically trying to make this play. And, um, and he still came back earlier than he should have because he was, he's that kind of player. Uh, I think as he ages, you can just slide him over to DH cause like it or not National League fans, the DH is coming. We know that, yep. um, his 2020 season was a little bit of a down year, but he started to heat up. He's always been a slow starter every year of his career. He's had a bad, like first five to six weeks. And at the end of the year, his OPS is around 900 home runs are between 25 and 30 and the RBI are near hundred. So I agree with you, Crawley. And I'll I like, yeah, I like I like Chris Bryant. I've always liked Chris Bryant. I know it's weird. Chicago fans kind of have this thing with Chris, and and I guess it's hard because everybody thought he was going to be the golden boy and the greatest thing to ever happen to baseball. And I mean, he started out rookie of the year and, and then MVP. I mean, that's a pretty pretty damn good start. I mean, how are you going to top that? You know, and uh, and he hasn't. You know, he's had injuries, and but but I I really like Chris Bryant a lot. You know, I'd I'd like to keep him. 
what I look at, like you said, is that there is going to be the, the free agent market is huge on shortstops. And then also that's like the Cubs minor league system has like a plethora of shortstops. Obviously, you know, we had this issue before when you had Castro and Russell and Baez and it all works out Torres. eventually. Yeah. Right. And Glabar Torres, all those guys, it all works out eventually. You never can have too many shortstops. Always like the most athletic position on the field. And you can move into third or second too. Right. And so it was, it was one of those things that I just, Javi has been, and it's not just this year. It's, it's been a trend. I mean, 2018 was great. I mean, that was his breakout season, but boy, I mean, I, I don't even know what he is doing now. I, like, these are not like, these are not major league of bats. I've seen a regression in him that, you know, okay. I was, I was led to believe that the problem was the video. He didn't have the video to look at, or there was no crowd cheering him. He needs the crowd. He's one of those kind of guys. Well, you know, you got a crowd and you got your videos. I mean, and, and, and like I said, sometimes, and, and Rizzo, like you said, is off to a slow start, but sometimes you see Rizzo hits into a shift. He hits a ball 114 mile per hour and some jackass is just in the right spot. And like the, like the softball, right center spine. You're like, Jesus Christ. And like in the eighties, that would have been a double at least. And, yeah. uh, you know, before all the shifting and shit, I'm just not seeing any competitive bats with bias. And so if you make a mistake, Javi will make you pay. But how often is Corbin Burns going to make a mistake? How often is Brandon Woodruff going to make a mistake? Yeah, you can get, you can, you can tee one off, off, a, off a guy that's, you know, off a pirate's pitcher, you know, you could tee one off when the Brewers put in their scrubs at the end, when they're not putting in Hader or uh, Williamson or something like that, you can do that. But, but you look at how he's doing against even mediocre pitchers. And I, to say you're not worried offensively, you cannot be striking out over half of your, your plate appearances and, and, and wonder why the offense is struggling. Yeah, dude, I 100% agree. If you look at Javier Baez's career, 2018, he was elite. Off He's always been elite with the glove. The glove yep. doesn't slump. And for that, I always appreciate him. His base running is just unreal. He's got a high baseball IQ. Um, he's a spark. But again, he's going to be looking for i think his price tag's coming down and he knows that some fans i don't know where fans get this from every now and then a fan will say like oh this guy wants 300 million i'm like yeah maybe after he won the mvp in 2016 300 million was the talk but of course that's come down since then but i agree with you and chris bryant every year chris bryant has been a healthy he's been elite 2019 he was an all-star ops around 900 five war 2017 his war was six something 2018 or 2016 MVP 2015 rookie of the year. The only two years were 2018 and 2020 injuries. You know, that, that's why that 2018 team, me and you could do a whole separate one hour long podcast. I don't want to hold you for too much longer, uh, but this has <laughs> been a great conversation. I really appreciate you being on too. No that 2018 team, we won 95 games. Bryant missed 60. That's why I was still so baffled about, you know, any, anyway, though, um, that's always gonna be the most head scratching season of as a Cubs fan to me in recent memory. Obviously there's been other years. But I agree with you. Um, I almost wonder with Chris Bryant if we could trade him and then re-sign him in the offseason. You so know, pull a Chapman is what you're saying. Pull yeah, a Chapman. I mean, it's that some other team did it not that long ago either. It's it's kind of happened. He loves it here, almost as if Jed talks about it with him, where it's like, listen, man, you're on fire right now. We could kind of jumpstart this next wave of of like the next window not just be like that's my thing i want people to view this as like we need another window to start soon um prolong the window type of, of a deal um and 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 javi i know he's so exciting everyone and we all love him but i just i agree with you i 
when Bryant struggles and when Rizzo struggles, they're they're hitting balls into shifts. They're just missing it. You know what I mean? They're hitting fly balls where it's like, ah, maybe his shoulders banged up because he was right on that. When Javi struggles, I feel like you and I could strike him out. It, it, there, there's, there was a couple that were like literally like a foot and a half outside the zone that he's swinging at. There was one that was in the dirt. I'm thinking about this Milwaukee season. And it's like, and not only that, it's situational at bats. Like, you know, maybe there's one guy on and you need to get other more base runners and he's swinging out of his shoes, four straight pitches. It's like, and, and, and the weird thing is, is you hear it with like Jim Deshays and Ron Coomer and Pat Hughes, you know, I don't know Boog well enough uh, to kind of get his inflection and stuff, but I'm hearing these guys and they're like, what in the hell is going on with it? What is he doing? Like, like get on base any way that you can and, and let your, let your teammate pick you up. And so, I mean, I'm just seeing a lot of wing on his head. It's just, it's a good question. And and you can ask that, you know, you can, you can ask about any of those things. I I don't know. Is he playing selfish to get more numbers? You know what I mean? Is he swinging out of his shoes to get the home run numbers up, to get the RBI numbers up? Yeah. I can't tell you. All I can tell you is, you know, I was, I was always a huge Joe Madden fan and, and, and he will forever be my favorite Cubs manager, probably till the day I die. And he was interesting. He would, what he would do is, is he would kind of send messages through the media to his players, you know? And so like, like I would always remember Javi would get like two hits, like a single and like a 450 foot home run. And like, you know, the press would come afterwards and ask him, did you see Javi's 450 foot home run? And Joe would be like, yeah, I saw that's all right. But what I really liked was he went to right center on that single. And so he would always kind of like make sure that Javi always heard that is like, you know, and like when, when, when Javi would get into those slumps, and maybe he would go 0 for 4. He's like, yeah, he went 0 for 4. But he had two balls that he hit towards the right side that were just right at somebody, but he's getting there. He's like, I can tell when Javi's going right center, he's breaking out of it. And and those kind of messages, and I think about that a lot now in in when, when he's struggling and stuff like that is, you know, is there anybody talking to him or getting through to him? Or what, what are the relationships like? I don't know, but I can just tell you that right now he's pull happy. Right now he's just swinging out of his shoes he's not hitting situationally and I don't know if it's weighing on him or not, but, but you just can't have this happening right now. You can't have the guy playing like this. Yeah. I mean, cause what, what hurts the most is this could be his last season as a cub and he's playing so badly. We're not going to get anything for him. You know, um, it's almost at the point where I wonder if they're just like, let him play the season out and, you know, maybe we'll resign him cheap. Maybe he'll just become, like we can, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if that's the case because or you get the, like, or you get the draft pick. If you, or leaves. you get the draft pick. Yeah. The compensation pick for if, when he signs with another team. Um, yeah. I like what you said about Madden though, because that was Madden's strength as a manager was the, uh, the mental side of baseball. I always felt yeah. he did. I told people, I'm like, there were times. And I remember like in game seven, Javi had two airs and I still had this calmness where I'm like, that's not gonna, that's not going to, take this whole you know what i mean there were in the past as a cubs fan unfortunately because just how we were programmed if there was an air wouldn't you get that feeling where it's like fuck i'm gonna that's the highlight i'm gonna see that highlight for the next 10 years shit we gotta <laughs> overcome that mistake and with the madden cubs and in, in 15 16 17 even um i kind of felt like oh it's okay they'll shake that off because madden was great at taking the pressure off teams now we could you know I don't want to say anything negative about him because he gave us a great five years. I guess his only weakness was probably the way he handled bullpens. I guess people could say, and maybe people got annoyed with the lineups toward the end. I don't know. But I think if I'm starting a young team, I, I'm picking Joe Madden to be my manager. That's for damn sure. If I'm starting a young team, that's why I was kind of surprised that, uh, 
the White Sox didn't go for Madden earlier or a team that or he might, he might've just said, screw that. I don't want to uh, be on the other side of town. He, <laughs> Madden probably understood the rivalry, which I'm happy that he didn't go that way. Although I wouldn't mind if the Cubs were to steal Rick Hahn. Cause right now the Cubs don't have a GM, you know, that's going to change next year. Hopefully it'd be ridiculous if the Ricketts were still like, now nah, we got to save some money. The pandemic really affected us. Um, cause you know, by 2022, it's going to be hundred percent capacity. And that's what I'm reminding. Cause we got a couple, we got a couple, we got a comment here where someone's like, you know, they're going to do a full rebuild. Do you want Rizzo to be through another rebuild? I d- don't let them tell you that we need a full rebuild. Don't let them sell you that bullshit. Because I just told you guys, there's enough out there with free agency, and we have younger prospects that are closer than you think. There's just no, I, I, I think a full rebuild is just ownership trying to tell you that it's tricking your fan base into thinking that you have to go cheap when you do not have to go cheap. Because let me remind people, rebuilds don't automatically work. And you could do a rebuild right, and it still could not work. The Detroit Tigers had a rebuild in the early 2000s that went great they had a ton of great arms and some good bats and they still lost in two world series the texas rangers had a great rebuild in the later part of the what do you call that the aughts the 2000 aughts? The aughts, I don't know. yeah yeah and they lost remember they lost back-to-back world series they went two in a row and lost in both um who else i mean the mets the mets how rebuild the, it with how about the cleveland indians the team we faced in the world series you thought when you're when you're in when you after that World Series was over, you're like, man, it's probably gonna be the Cubs and the Indians for the next three years. One of those teams yeah. is gonna be in the World Series. They had said young players at every position, and because of their the market size they're in, really because ownership's bad too. Um, they traded off Cy Young winners. You know what I mean? They traded off all these great pitchers and and hitter and Francisco Lindor, like the the Mets pitching staff, that Mets team that swept us in 2015, people would have thought they were there every year. Actually, that yep. Mets pitching staff was so great. I remember having a, a split second where I'm like, man, I know the Cubs' whole like a philosophy was we're going to build off of offense and then just go by pitching, which at the time made sense to me. And it still did. It worked. Where the Mets did the opposite. They went pitching and then they went to buy hitters. And then, you know, pitching breaks down way easier than hitting. So who knows? I think you need a little bit more of a balance. Um, I will say this, though. The the Cubs did develop Kyle Hendricks. I know we didn't draft him, but we technically developed him. When we acquired him from Texas, he was an eight ball. So whenever people say we didn't draft, we didn't develop anyone. Also, we changed Arietta's pitching mechanics, and it worked great for him. Anyway, sometimes I get too – I love the Cubs (laughs) so much. Sometimes I just – I wanted to stick up for them in every little thing. Um, Someone says that mess lineup was old. Yeah, they were a little older. Maybe the Mets wasn't the best example, but I gave you three or four other examples of how rebuilds aren't automatic. I just feel like that this past Cubs rebuild was so great. People are like, well, let's do that again. And I'm like, it, it's not a guarantee. You want to suffer for three more years? For th- Think about this. Don't ever forget the, the ninth inning. Jason Kipnis, if he straightens that one out a little bit, then they walk off. And then and, and the Cubs, and, and, and all that rebuild. I fucking sat through that thing, man. I sat through... 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, going to 40, 45 games of a 100-loss season. I mean, it it wasn't the most enjoyable, guys. I'm not going to lie about it. And, yeah, if you're one of those people that just turns the TV off, that's great. But for people like me that go to the games and, and, and watch these games, you know, I, I guess I could probably not do that. But that's just not in my DNA, you know. Me either. So, me either. You, you the Cubs are on. I'm sit finding a way to watch that. it. <laughs> I don't want to see that again. I see I lived through it once and that was the deal is it was, it was almost like a bargain. And I remember that when the Cubs were really sucking in that rebuild, what they would do for the season ticket holders at the end of the season is they would find a theater in Chicago, one of the theaters downtown. 
and they would rent it out for the season ticket holders. And they'd have a couple different shifts and it would be like an hour and a half, like, or God, was it an hour and a half? It was like, yeah, hour and a half. It was like, it was like 30 minutes, Theo, 30 minutes crane. And then like 30 minutes, like audience questions. And, and I remember clearly Theo saying, look guys, you know, we came here and, and, and there, it re- the system wasn't what we expected it to be. And we're going to have to go through a rebuild once stick with us, trust the process. And in the end, it'll work out and you'll never have to be, you know, we're going to be competitive from then on out. You can hold us to that. So, you know, I, I sit here and I'm like, okay, you know, I get, I, I understand back in the day why we had to do what we had to do. There was nothing in there. There was garbage. You know, you, you can go down the list of, of bus from the Cubs. Brett Jackson, minor Josh Vitters. Like, right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, this is how recent this was. I think 2014, I have a piece of memorabilia that I keep just for shits and giggles. It's uh, signed, like if you're a season ticket holder, and I think you paid like credit card or check. I can't remember what it was, but like they gave you like a, it was an eight by 10 signed by Rizzo and Brett Jackson. I'm like, I still have it. It's like a dual signed uh, piece, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it was, it was so garbage. I was like, look, Theo, you do what you got to do. We, we will stand behind you. We will support you. I had no problem getting rid of Samarja. I know some people didn't like that, you know, Notre Dame guy, you know, all that stuff. Do what you got to do, Theo. I, I was one of those guys, 100% in Theo we trust. And, uh, you know, but but again, I was also promised that this wasn't going to happen again, that we would have to tear it down to the studs. We're a major market team that shouldn't be happening. I couldn't agree more. Um, and this is the last point I'll make, and we'll, we'll wrap up the podcast with Crawley telling all the listeners where to check out all the great things you're doing out there. I was under the belief too, that 2012, 2013, 2014, and even 2015, if you look at payroll, the 2015 Cubs were maybe 10th in payroll. It wasn't, John Lester was the only real high priced guy. And I think maybe Montero was second in salary that year because we absorbed it from uh, Arizona when we made that trade. We didn't spend it all those years. So the idea was we are going to be really low on payroll. I mean, super low. Then when the competitive windows truly open, that's when we're going to be big players in free agency. And that's when the payroll is going to get big. And it did. But if you look at it, if you look at the last nine seasons, Theo's nine years, we went over the luxury tax in 2016, in 2019, and in 2020. And I think we only went over in 2020 because when the pandemic hit, it made trading contracts kind of hard. I, I, there was a rumor or two at the time that maybe they were going to pull off a trade of maybe Quintana because they were going to give Alec Mills that spot in the rotation. Then Quintana got hurt and that, that, that freeing up Quintana's, I think 10.511 million would have brought them under the Lux tax because they wanted to reset that going into this off season, but obviously the pandemic screwed everything up. But anyway, only three seasons, we didn't go over the tax in 2017 or 2018, only three seasons we went over out of nine. And we went under all those other years and way under 2012 to 2014, like I mentioned earlier. I was under the impression that you go way under to spend while you're competitive. The fact that the wallet closed after the 2018 season, and I know some people are like, it's punishment because you, Darvish, and Morrow, and Chatwood were bad signings. Now, to me, Darvish ended up being a really good signing. You can't judge a six-year contract after one bad year, a year in which we found out he was mentally messed up from the Astros cheating, and then he got injured too. He comes back from second half of 2019 through 2020. He was the ace that you signed. 
Uh, Morrow should never pitch three games in a row, but still banged up. Still a two-year deal, though. A two-year deal at eight and a half, nine million a season shouldn't cripple a major market franchise, right? I didn't like that excuse. Chatwood, I agreed, was a bad signing. Of all the signings in the Theo era, that was one I didn't like because there are going to be signings where you're like, that don't work out. There'll be signings that don't work out, but you're like, okay, I can see the thought process behind that at least. You know, like if, yeah. if this upcoming offseason, the Cubs sign uh, Noah Syndergaard and he ends up being horrible, that would be thought of as a bad signing, but I still would be all for it. I'd still be like, hell yeah, go sign that guy. You know, so that's something fans should consider. Um, but yeah, I definitely with you. I don't think if, if we're going rebuild, that means we're not spending on the 2022 Cubs. Do not uh, do not just take that. Don't don't accept that Cubs fans. Don't just be like, oh, I guess we're not going to spend. No, because there's no reason not to spend on the Cubs in 2022 while building, especially if they make some trades. If, you, if you're telling me we trade four or five guys to restock the uh, farm system in 2021 and you're still not going to spend in 2022, that's ridiculous because you could do both at the same time. Be careful. This is where I'm nervous. And, and again, this is probably another reason why I'm putting so much into every game this season. I, I am very scared that once this CBA is up, this collective bargaining agreement, that you, again, are you going to sign? Let's say, let's say you sign Noah Syndergaard for say, let's put it at two fifty million. You know what I mean? Are you going to are you going to sit there and burn a year of salary or whatever? You know, if there's going to be no baseball, I, I that is just the fact that they cannot agree even on the most basic, simplest thing has me very nervous that. They are so far apart, and there's so so much acrimony between the two parties, between the players' union and the owners. I, I am I am very severely worried that we're looking at a potential lockout or strike in 2020, 2021. Sorry. Yeah, I think with a lockout, though, um, you'd still have to pay him. I think with a strike, though, you wouldn't pay him, but you'd still lose the you know, good year of the guy. That's what's right. interesting. That's why I think a lot of players were signing extensions with their teams these past couple years, um, which is why it was a bummer that the Cubs couldn't get any done. I had heard from some people that they tried to get it done shortly after the one, the world series, but their agents were, this is what we forget. Professional bay athletes. They've got two dreams, winning a championship, no matter what sport they're in, they want to win a championship. And then their second dream is getting that big fat paycheck. So when you get the first dream out of the way early in your career, you're not really going for that hometown discount. And that's what a lot of extensions are. Pretty much every extension is going to be under market value because you're taking on more risk. You know, if you, you know, if we extend Ian Happ right now for eight years and, you know, knock on wood and all that stuff, because I love Ian Happ, but say he doesn't play well, then that's a big risk. That's why pretty much every extension you could argue is under market value. That's just how that business side of things work. But I definitely, I think just for the sake of fixing this bad PR, extending Rizzo makes a lot of sense right now. It might relax the team. I would love it if I keep dreaming about this. Monday's an off day. Monday, I want to see the headline. Cubs extend Rizzo. Five years, 90 million. He wants 100 million, but you guys aren't comfortable with it. The, the previous offer was 14 million per. He's making 16 million this year. You can't expect him to take a pay cut. Give him a couple million more annually than he's getting now. Five years, 85, five years, 90 seems fair to me for a guy who will be 32 in August. I think he would sign on the dotted line for that. Relaxes the team a little bit, tells the other players, hey, 
Maybe they do care. Maybe they will assign me too if I turn things around. I don't know. I just think it'll take the mental edge off of things. I, Carly, you're one of those dudes I feel like I could do four-hour podcasts with, um, <laughs> especially about Cubs baseball. We could talk about uh, what our poor wives probably go through as Cubs fans, although my wife's a pretty um, crazy Cubs fan. So, uh, I mean, she's not nuts like me, but she uh, definitely cares. So I think we're both probably lucky in that regard. Um, but Carly, man, tell everyone where they could follow you on Twitter. I mean, they see your handle right there if they're watching. Handle live, right there at Crawley's Cubs. You can find me on Facebook at Crawley's Clubhouse. You can find me also on YouTube at Instagram at Crawley's Clubhouse. Uh, you can check out our uh, t-shirts at www.crawleysclubhouse.com. We have an exclusive line of Pat Hughes t-shirts with all of uh, Pat Hughes's famous catchphrases. And uh, also on the Sun Ranto show. And uh, I think the next time we're recording, I'm trying to remember Today is what uh, Sunday, I think we're, or we're, I think we're doing it Monday when there's no game. The next time we're recording is Monday. We usually try to kind of get in between series or on getaway days. This is a Sunday night baseball. So we're going to go on, uh, we're going to go on Monday when they have the off day. That's great, man. Thanks so much for being on it too. Guys, definitely check out that podcast and all the Pat Hughes shirts. If you're a Pat Hughes fan, like you all should be. Um, if you, if you, if you don't like Pat Hughes, don't listen to my podcast. Don't follow me on anything. <laughs> I don't want you at my shows. I don't want you in my life. Um, but dude, seriously, you're the best. Um, uh, dude, as always, go Cubs. And, and I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. And hopefully we could uh, have a Club 400 beer in person sometime. Or I could see it out at Wrigley. Hopefully, Absolutely. I'll, I'll be going to the game on Saturday. And I'll be there on Thursday. So that'll be the Braves and the, and the Mets. So I'll be around if you're around. All right. I'll let you know. Let's get some W's. All right. All right take care, bud. Carly.